Hey modelers, welcome to the Model Geek Skill Modeling Podcast. Here, we will be discussing anything and everything as it relates to the world of scale modeling. Before we start, we would like to take a moment and thank all of you, the listeners out there, for your support. We would also like to thank our great sponsors for their support. Detail to Scale, Furball Aero Design, Tamiya USA, Sprue Brothers. Please have a look at their websites and have a look at all their fine products. Now, buckle up and ride along as we journey into the world of scale modeling. We really hope that you will download and make us a part of your modeling bench sessions. Now, here are the geeks, Darren Cook, Scott Samo, Andrew Frill, and Andrew White. Hey, what's crack-a-lackin', Model Geeks? And welcome to episode 65 of the Model Geeks podcast. It's Frildo, and I am running the show today, and I am joined by my three illustrious co-hosts because D-Ran is still on work travel. So joining me this evening, I've got Tim El Presidente Holland, Andrew Whitey White, and Scott Nemo Samo. Fellas, welcome. What's going on? What's happening, man? How you doing? Um, doing How are you guys doing? Well, I'm doing better now. I can see out of my right eye because Friday <laughs> I was I was a hurting unit on Friday. Dude, you look like you got in a bar uh, fight and you had a and you got arrested as your mugshot. Well, quick <laughs> a quick sea story. Uh, I was stationed here at PAX at VX20, and I had to go down to um, L3 in um, Waco, Texas, to do an FCF and accepting flight and a couple test flights on EP3. And so, like a good sailor, get up in the morning, I shaved, make sure I'm shaved, get in there. And all of a sudden, I kept, like, start scratching my neck, you know? I was just like, ugh. So, right where I had shaved on my neck, I was scratching. Didn't Uh-oh. think anything of it. I finished up the outside pre-flight. I come walking in on the airplane, and I'm like, man, something's wrong. So, I go into the head, and we have a mirror in the head. And I looked, and I had welts on my neck and my eye. My right eye started to swell, and I was just like, what the heck? And so I come walking out of the, the head, and one of the other pilots saw me, and he was like, whoa, what is wrong? <laughs> I was like, I don't know, man. I was all scratching. Like, was like, yeah, yo, man. in the air. Yo, you know? man. Yo, y'all got some crack? Yeah. And they were like, oh, man, you all right? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Because we had to get this flight done. Cause we, had this, we had to get this airplane out to VQ land. And so we went, and I, I, I did that flight with my right eye swollen shut. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and I get back and I had to go get my uh, Lockheed Martin badge and I'm getting here and the guy's taking my picture. My face is swollen. I got these welts. He's like, man, he like, he went through like three rounds with Tyson. <laughs> well, what happened? What I don't was know, it? man. I guess Sounds like an allergic reaction. Um, allergic reaction. Yeah. Well, yeah. It had to be something that was some, cause I, I have a uh, grass allergy, grass uh, and pollen. So it had to be something that was in there. That huh. Did not agree with me. That sucks, man. And because I had fresh skin, you know, it was kind of like. It like tore Oof. into me. And then oh, Friday, man. I wake up and I'm like, wait a minute, my right eye's not opening. <laughs> and I go and I got this gunk in my eye and I'm like, oh crap. So I had a sty and conjectivitis. I spent four hours at the urgent care before I even got seen. Oh my goodness. Because I knew I needed an antibiotic and you can yeah. get an antibiotic from a damn doctor. And I was just like, oh man, this sucks. And, uh, but yeah, it's finally better now. I can see out of it. I don't have double vision anymore. And, uh, the <laughs> swelling is almost gone. So that is good. <laughs> well, glad you're feeling better, man. 
Yeah. That was, and you look better too. You don't look like you got your ass beat by a freaking Rottweiler or something. Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Speaking of uh, grass allergies, I'll apologize now for the last show when I was (laughs) congested beyond belief. And yeah, I I tried to keep my mic silent as I could, but yeah. Sorry folks. Yeah, it happens. I, I, I suffer from allergies as well. And uh, uh, there are times where I'm constantly, uh, when we're recording, I'm constantly switching in and out with the mute button. And sometimes I miss and I, I've i got a live mic when I think I'm muted. And then when I, when I uh, quote, unmute it, I'm actually muted. And you guys are like, you know, calling the pause button and saying, hey, your mic's muted. <laughs> <laughs> hey, or, yep. you're, or you think you have like a, you know, you, you think it's muted and you're just all... <laughs> Yes. You know, and you're just like, you're like or you dude. get up and you get up and go to the bathroom. Oh. Yeah. And then the flush. That's never happened. No, never. Like, oh going. man, there's something we got to edit out. Guys are telling them all of our like secret editing little tricks and stuff. How we edit all that yeah. stuff out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. called it's called human uh, nature. I mean, it, yes. it is who we are. Yep. All right, well, good. I'm glad everybody's good spirits and is ready to go. Ready to talk about some interesting stuff tonight. So let's kick it off here. Let's go ahead and, um, Whitey, what you got going on in the pattern, man? Oh, man. Okay. Uh, well, on the bench over there is still that Star Wars escape pod. Um, just about done with it. I painted it up over the weekend. Uh, well, Sunday. Uh, my Saturday was spent um, otherwise. We'll, we'll talk about that. Um, so, yeah, got a coat of paint on it. I appreciated it beforehand. And, um, it's ready to, you know, I'm, I'm done with the, with the base coat of it and, uh, started painting on the droids and the little base that it comes with. So I want to wrap that up, uh, and it's getting there. And so that's all I have, how I have in work on the bench. Um, it's looking really good, man. I was over there last night and checked it out. It looks from coming along really good. Yeah. I've had fun doing it, you know, definitely something out of my wheelhouse again. So, um, it's now, been enjoyable. Uh, yeah. So how are you, how are you going to do the weathering on the outside? Because that thing was kind of beat up in the movie, wasn't I'm it? I'm just going to, you know, it came in through the atmosphere, right? So I got to assume whatever Tatooine, yeah. right? Is that the planet? Tatooine. On? Tatooine. Okay. Tatooine. So it's, it, you know, two suns. So the atmosphere has got to be pretty dense there. So, um, you know, some scorch marks on it for sure, right? Scorch there it up go. some, streak it up. Maybe make some dirt marks on it from where it skidded across the planet. And, uh, yeah, you know. Uh, let's see. Otherwise, uh, nothing else in work. I'm going to get this thing done, and I, I, my plan is to roll into my D-Day uh, build, uh, which, okay, it's going to be a C-47. I know in the last episode I said pencil me in for one, but now you can go pen and ink if you want to. I already did that. Cool. All right. Cool. Yep. That's me, man. That's my pattern at pattern altitude right now. All right. El Presidente, what's going on in your pattern? Uh, quite a bit. I think I've got a full one. The uh, I've been messing around with uh, my 3D printer, trying to dial some uh, uh, better resolution and a few other things, figuring out nozzle swaps. And, and if you, you know anything about 3D printing, you'll know what I'm saying. But um, And then troubleshooting all of that, and I'm, I'm learning a lot, which is, I guess, the whole point, right? I, and I actually, my latest print, is a, um, uh, you guys can see it, but our listeners can't, but there's a pet door that somebody uh, asked me to uh, print 
And uh, their question was simple. Hey, would it fit? Can you do something this big? And the answer is, yes, I can. Right. So I, oh, cool. I've got a, I've got a door. Um, I was surprised at how easy it was to make I, uh, or to design. I figured the hard part would be designing it. And it's, it's about five millimeters too short. Uh, but Victor, who's the one that wants it, is uh, he, he saw the pictures of it and he goes, dude, he goes, it's close enough. And uh, it's like, okay, try it, test fit it. If it works, great. If not, it'll take me about 10 minutes to redesign it if I need to because it's an easy adjustment and then I can reprint it. Um, so, uh, you know, that's part of the kind of the stuff I'm working on. And then re- when it comes to real modeling, you know, melting plastic, although I guess technically that's what I'm doing with that. But anyway, the, uh, I got a, a, another Mustang. It's going to be a natural metal finish with a, uh, Malcolm hood. Uh, I've got the, uh, uh, the silver on the bare metal on, uh, I think it's LP 38 to me, lacquer aluminum. And I'm going to try using some oils on that one. Uh, it's a new technique for me to, uh, show some variation in the panels, Again, each one of these models are going to be, these Mustangs are going to be a, a new technique. And then in parallel with that, I've got a, a P36 and a Buffalo, Brewster Buffalo, that are going to be in finish markings from the Winter War, and uh, which uh, I recently read online had some interesting, uh, their, their paint schemes were a little different than what most people think of when they think of a, uh, um, a Finnish uh, uh, Air Force scheme. So. Uh, I thought I'd do those just to be different. And then the last thing with my uh, uh, um, Spitfire that I'm going to do for the the group build, the D-Day group build, I'm trying to figure out the build process because I'm going to put it in flight. And um, and related to that is my, uh, just today, I got a mail call. My PJ uh, Productions Navy pilot showed up. So I've got that guy that, uh, um, based on what I, seen so far is going to lose his legs, but hey, he'll, uh, it won't be visible in a Spitfire anyway. Um, yeah, so he'll look a little bit like Douglas Botter, but, uh, he'll, uh, uh, it'll work. And I've got an idea on how I want to actually pose it, um, in flight with the pilot. And, um, I've got some, I got some other things I need to do to, to really make it look right, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that. And then, gosh, hey, why do you, uh, did um did you buy anything at Pencon? I sure did. I didn't cover that in my pattern, did I? You did. Yeah, that wasn't in your pattern. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll have to go back to yours in a second. But yeah. uh yeah, the, the other than a in my case, other than a uh um mass of decals, um I picked up a uh Hasegawa um V twenty two, the COD version. I've been trying to find one of those for a while now, and, fi- and I forget, it was uh, Bill Briarton. Yeah, Firehouse probably. had one sitting. Yeah, there. he had yeah. one, so I jumped on it and uh, got I it. I almost for, did. Yeah, well, I'm glad I, I saw got that. It and I was like, good. oh man, that's unique. Yep. Yeah, it's now the only gives- only V22 I've had a desire to do is uh, the COD version. And that gives you the resin. You get the resin extended fuel tanks on the side, right? That's like pretty much the only external difference. I, I haven't opened it yet. Oh wow! Ooh, still in the plastic. Ooh. Yeah, I haven't even. I, it's still sealed. What? Yes, I haven't even cracked the box open. So I, it's. I've, I've been busy, but uh, which is wrong. I shouldn't be busy. But anyway, that's all. It's in my pattern. 
All right, thanks. Scott, what you got going? What's in your pattern? Oh, boy. Um, let's see here. I'll I'll try to run through this quick. But um, the first thing, so I'll just, what I'm working on, I've got the Hobby Boss, that SU-22, um, just a little bit of a, a, a switcheroo. I was, first I was going to do the, the gray scheme. Then I was going to do like this Russian Afghanistan sc- scheme. And then now I'm going with this Afghan Air Force, uh, two-tone sort of like a or three-tone it's like brown tan and the dark green so anyway i'll be rolling with that one hopefully it's in the it's almost done with painting and starting getting ready for decals um hopefully soon and uh then i've also got uh to me it's a the 48 scale the 109 uh started putting decals on they seem to be going down pretty well um and um so yeah hopefully i can get that one done soon i was going to try to have it done for pencom but just just didn't happen um Mail call wise, um, oh man, I'm so excited! But I did, I did um, get the um, the new Spitfire Mark 14, the low back and the high back um, laminar flow designs um, conversion set for the Tamiya Mark Nine, and uh, I bought two each. <laughs> so I got go. I got two of the low back and two of the high back in case I screwed them up or they're hard to find or hard to, you know, they, cause they just, they're not printing a whole lot of these things. They sold out like a half hour. And then the second time, I think it took a little less than 24 hours and they sold out again. So anyway, I was that, that's, that, that's one thing I'm most excited about. Cause when I get it, I, I, I'd like to start the a Spitfire. Um, the, again, the 32nd scale to me one. And then I did get some airbrush parts, um, in the mail as well for an old one Badger 150 that I'm trying to just get back to working order. And last but not least, uh, my PinCon pickup. I got a whole bunch of decal sheets. Uh, most of them are OOP HTF UR. Uh, yeah, that's uh, out of production, hard to find, ultra rare. Did I just say UR? I think I did. I think I said you UR did. instead U- of ultra UR. Rare. <laughs> ultra rare. Ultra rare. UR. Yeah, because you, you'll see like on eBay, you'll buy, you'll try to grab a sheet and it'll say OOP HTF UR. And I just think it's funny. You know, like yeah. it's, oh yeah, okay. I'm glad you put all those acronyms in there because uh, and I didn't realize it was a, you know, an out of production sheet, you know, from 2013 six years ago i thought well, it was still new <laughs> well that aeromaster air wing eight sheet that you got hold on to that sucker 10 bucks 10 dollars highway robbery can you believe yeah, that you should you should they, they should have called the cops <laughs> dude because that was i, I got a ton of yeah. really cool sheets for our listeners that if you want to do the air wing that was in it's um, yep. the final countdown it's all there that's the sh- yeah that's the sheet that you want to use yeah it's awesome. It's it's a real. When I saw that, I was like, nah. So I opened up the package. All of the decals looking, they were in their own separate bags, and uh, it had a, it has a booklet. The decal, it's not decal. It's a booklet of all. Man, it is beautiful. And I was like, ten dollars. Oof, that's like that Tinker Toys sheet on eBay, yeah. man. You want that two bobs Tinker Toys uh, that thirty second scale A four sheet? Yeah, you better. Go take out some money from your savings to buy that stupid thing. Luckily, I've got one in Frildo. I think you got one too, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Says, "Hey, okay, hold on to that one." Anyway, so got a, a bunch of neat uh, decal sheets, and uh, and another uh, one. Last thing I did get was the thirty second scale. It's a Paragon Mark Twelve Spitfire conversion. So it's the first. Uh, I think that's the first Griffin engine spits. It is. Um, so uh, yeah, that one that's for the Hasegawa kit. But when I when I was looking at, I looked online, 
in a guy who used that conversion. Holy geez. <laughs> It'd be another, another 17 years before I could use that conversion and do it. But it would look pretty cool because you don't see the Mark 12 very often. That's the one that's got the four-bladed uh, Griffin engine prop. And uh, it's got the... I think it's got the C-wing and a bunch of other stuff, but it's... Yeah, um, C-wing. It, it, and it basically, from the firewall aft, looks like a Mark 5C. Yep. And yep. Uh, from the firewall forward, looks like a... Uh, uh, essentially a sea fire. Yep. It four, does. Or 15. It's pretty cool looking. It's just, it's very unique, but I, I, I don't know who knows, you know, I, I won't, I'm, if I do one, I'm not going to scribe and rivet the whole thing. Like I did the other one. Um, you know, and, and once I finally dove in on the, the last, the last Mark 14 that I built, it went pretty quick, but it was, it was still a lot of work, but, um, the, the scribing and the, the riveting is what kind of took forever. But anyway, all right, my two minutes is up. That's all I got, man. All right, thanks. Well, as for me, I didn't go to PinCon because I was out visiting my daughter in a Yeah, went to uh, the backyard brawl between uh, West Virginia and Pitt. So, dude, that was a great game, though. It was an awesome game. Who won? Yeah, uh, West Virginia did. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was awesome, and the way they have like they play Sweet Caroline. And there's verses in there that they change it to. I don't really want to say the saying for Pitt, but they, yeah. you're being nice. So yeah. So it goes in and so, you know, it's, it's awesome atmosphere. Man. College game day was supposed to be there, but the last minute they changed out and decided to go to Colorado for the Colorado, Colorado state game. And uh, yeah, that, so that would have been cool. That was a good game too, but that's awesome. Anytime your team wins, it's, it's good. So, um, yep cool it's 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 funny Alice and I've been married for 23 years we've been going to Texas games for forever and just this past Thanksgiving is the first time in 20 something years that we ever went to a game where they won <laughs> so we're like okay we need to stay away from the games cuz yeah i mean it was just i when they when we were when we saw them play Baylor last year and they they won the game fairly you know handily and, but it was so much fun. We we're like, I looked at her and I'm like, holy shit, they're going to win. I've never, what if I haven't been in a game in 20 something years to see them win. And uh, anyway, because, yeah, like back in the 90s and early 2000s, they, that's all they did was win. But then, yeah, after the Vince Young and Colt McCoy years, it's just been downhill. But, you know, Texas is doing great this year. So, it's yeah, all they're good. Anyway, rank right. pretty high. Yeah. Uh, well, as far as, so. I haven't gotten anything in the mail, so wow, it's been like a month now. I haven't got, I haven't purchased anything model related. What? Any, yeah, I know. I I need to change that. I'm looking around, like, yeah, I don't think I've gotten anything. Either that, or you hit it quickly. Nothing. Yeah. Like nothing, nothing at all. Nothing at all. All wow. right. Well, I take that back. I did go to uh, Barnes huh? and Noble there in Morgantown, and I bought. Uh, it's a magazine, Phoenix Aviation Modeling International. So. I bought a model magazine. There you go. That's store, something. So. Yeah. So that's is my. That, is that one of the new ones? Didn't that one like. It is. It just came out. I think something? like. Uh, th I think it just came out like last year sometime. So I got I got the first issue around here somewhere. So I was looking at it and they're like, oh, we're a new model magazine. I was like, oh. And uh, it's pretty, pretty good. It's got some decent articles in it. Yeah. Did they offer a digital version? Um, I don't know. 
which I'm pretty sure they do if you go through that uh, publishing app, whatever it is that uh, that the other um, model mags go through. Right, right, yeah. Pocket mags, I think it's called. Uh, yeah, I've got, I've got. That's where I've got the two magazines I get is through that. So I'll have to look and see if they're that's available to them as well. Um. So that's that. So bench wise, well, T38. I kind of I was moving along on that. It's all deckled. Uh, just doing the final touches on it so that I can get it off the bench and on the shelf decals went down amazing at first i thought the the no stripe wasn't going to fit and i burned one of the uh because they give you like two sets of no stripes to do like two different jets so i burned one of them and then by not testing well testing to see if i had my anti-glare panel or the glare shield right and i didn't so i had to remask to get that to line up so i got that lined up and that came out great and those I was kind of worried. I'm like, man, that's not going to fit. I mean, how are they going to curve up like that? But they did, and they cool. went on. So so I'll finish that up. And then so when I got done with that, I was like, all right, let me get on this F4. So I got the F4 appreciated. I know that's like taboo in our hobby now, I think, right? Appreciating? No, it's but all good. I like doing it. And so the F4 is appreciated. Started doing the underside, and I was like, oh, crap, I need to. I might have to prime that with another with gray or something before I finish before I continue appreciating it because uh, I don't know I'll see because going over white over white you know it's just I just I don't want the I don't know so we'll see maybe I'll use some Tamiya white primer on the bottoms to kind of cover that up and uh, and that's about it that I've been working on I've been kind of busy this week so yeah I hope to get some bench time in this week. I, I got I got to know by the way. I just want to, and this this if this if this uh, goes down a rabbit hole, then then pull me out. <laughs> um, so about my models and how I my process and how I'm doing. I I have noticed lately with a couple of my different models that I just finished with, that needed decals that there is something going on with my normal process, which is when I apply decals, typically I'm using Gunsey Aqueous. I polish it. I lay the decal directly onto the, the paint and put a little, you know, solve set or whatever, or microsol or whatever it's needed, allow it to suck down. So with the flat coat, I, you know, was, yeah, had, had to add the flat coat. Um, once I'm done with all the models and then, or the, the decals, and then, you know, everything in the past had been coming out great, but now there's this, it's a, it's not silvering and you can't like see the decal film, except that there's a color shift with the, the clear film that's around the decal. The, the paint color is now lighter than the paint that surrounds it. And I'm like, I've never had that happen before. And I'm like, why is it doing that? So I, I talked to Gabe, I talked to Justin, and I think the theory is that it, nothing is happening to the paint underneath the clear film on the decal. What's happening is there's a color shift with the paint um, that doesn't have the decal film around. In other words, does that make sense? Like there's, there's not a reaction with the decal yeah, and, and the paint underneath, it's literally there's a color shift with, but it's not lighter. Like you, you think you if think it's you think it's because of the reflectivity is shifted. I don't know. I, I, know. I know that if, I know that if paint reflectivity changes, it will appear different. Yeah, 
I don't even, know. Even when it's technically the same tone. Yeah. I, 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 all I know is that you can see it yeah. and it's, and I'm like, Oh, and so what made me, you know, cause I, and Nats, uh, somebody told me like, Hey, really nice job on your SU 27, but you can see your carrier film on your nose number. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I told him, I said, yeah, I, I got it. It's, um, and, and that's why I got second. Um, which, okay, fine. Got second. No big deal. But I'm kind of like, yeah, I knew the issue with the decal and I'm like, how do I keep it from doing that? So my whole process that I've been doing for 20, 40 something years, I'm changing because I'm not, I don't want to get bit by that again. So I have, for the last couple of weeks, I've been experimenting with decal finishes and decals and flat coats and gloss coats. And I have changed how I'm going to do stuff. And this is something I'm going to have. I want to have Gabe on on a different show and Justin to be able to talk. Um, Cause I asked Gabe, I was like, how do you, his decals look painted, absolutely painted. And I asked him, I said, how do you do that? And then he walked me through his process and I'm like, holy goodness. Uh, mm-hmm. That is a lot of work. And it involves a gloss coat laying the decal down and then gloss sand, gloss sand, gloss sand, gloss, several, several iterations. And so I started experimenting and I had on my mule, I did several different decals where I had one that I laid several different gloss coats and polished. Then I had another decal that had like one coat of gloss. Then I had another decal that didn't have any. And then I let all that stuff dry. And then I sprayed it with the, and that took like two weeks because you'd have to wait. Like I'd have to lay the gloss, then wait, let it dry, come back the next day, sand, then gloss, then wait another day anyway. But I will tell you that when you're and they call it the decal sandwich method, that means gloss, decal, gloss. And I got to tell you, there's zero color shift, zero color shift. And Mm -hmm. the only thing I noticed with the decal that I put probably three or four layers of gloss and sanding. The only thing I'll tell you is there, you cannot see any decal film, zero decal film. Now I can, some of the others where I put one gloss coat on, you can just barely see the decal film, but you have to like zoom in with a phone. And then the one where I put no gloss coat on again, you could see the, carrier film a little bit more but nothing there's no color shift and again you have to like you can't see with the naked eye you can but you can see it when you zoom in but the bottom line is i am now a well crap i'm gonna have to here i am learning after 40 something years i'm learning how to properly apply decals because it was biting me i had two models that i'm having this color shift and i don't know why because it never did it before but um here i am uh, now, I, now I'm using the decal sandwich method and I just tried it on the 109, the Tamiya 109, and it looks great. Can't, you can't tell there's no color shift. There's no decal film. It looks great. But anyway, long story short, sorry for the freaking novel, but, um, it's been a lot of work for the last couple of, uh, last couple of weeks trying to figure out how to put decals on a model. <laughs> Tim, what you got, man? Uh, it, you had mentioned that, um, I'm trying to remember when we were, uh, anyway, we were on some sort of recording or just a discussion, but anyway, you had mentioned doing that. And I, I frankly wrote that down and, and it's now in my queue for one of the Mustangs as a new technique is to yep. try, um, you call it the decal sandwich 
Yeah. Um, I didn't write it that that well. I <laughs> my short uh, title. I instead wrote down the gloss, gloss and gloss and gloss and gloss yeah. and. <laughs> and, yeah. and said, oh, you, gloss you know, on, sand yeah, off. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so I'll try that on uh, probably not this one because it's my first uh, natural metal. But I'll on one of the next ones after that, I'm going to try it and uh, see how it comes out. Yeah, and that's that's the great. I mean, I would say to everybody, anybody who. If you're like, God, decals just, you know, it's, they're just so delicate, so tricky. And it's here, I have a, a, a process that I've done for years. That's now all of a sudden giving me problems. I'm not doing anything different. I'm not using different paint. I'm not using different thinner. I'm not using a different airbrush, nothing. It's all you, the exact same. You, you think that it potentially could be, um, uh, the decal manufacturers are doing that, something just a teeny bit different. Could be. You know, whether it's a chemical or a process or, you know, who knows? Because it doesn't, here's the crazy part. I know like on my SU-27, that's the best example because the nose number is, is, it's very evident. I can see it like, I mean, you know, turd in a punch bowl, as Darren would always say. And, um, I mean, and and the judges saw it too. And so when they told me, I'm like, yeah, 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 I, I, I thank you because I, I, I see it. Yep. It's there. Shame on me. But. I didn't know that it was going to do that because it looked perfect when the decals were placed on the model. So I hadn't uh, flat coated it yet. And so then I'm like, oh, cool. It's been, been drying, been sitting for a week or so and time to put the dull coat on mix. I have my old trusty mix ratio that I mix my testers dull coat with that I've used for years. I spray it on there. And all of a sudden, as I'm spraying it on there, I'm like, is that, damn thing shifting color again and the answer was yes i mean and there's no silvering it's not silvering it's just a very very slight color shift and yeah it it was it's enough to make me go yep i'm not doing that anymore i don't want to get you know number one i could have just trimmed off most of the decal film but still like i think the i've talked to gabe and justin and they're like that's the whole reason why they lay the gloss down and justin's a spot glosser so he just glosses where the decal is going to go. And Gabe is a full uh, model glosser. And he has, they both have their reasons why they do it the way they do it. And when you listen to both of them talk about how they do it, you're like, well, that makes sense both ways. And it works both ways. It's just Gabe feels more comfortable glossing the whole thing and doing several coats. And Justin's like, meh, gloss in a spot, put the decal down, lay a little bit of gloss and then flat. And he's comfortable. And they both look great. But man, I, I've been practicing. I Here I am. Like I felt so stupid. I, I was just like, I can't believe I've been doing this for 40 something years and I'm having to learn how to freaking do decals again. <laughs> but it worked. I mean, and I, and I, I, I tell everybody just get your mule and practice on your mule. You know, like I didn't put the decals down on my one Oh nine until I figured out, okay, how many gloss coats and sand sessions do I really need? And, uh, again, I think what I'm going to do, cause it's again, Gabe and I were on the phone for like a couple of hours and he's talking to me how he does it and why. And it was, super, I was like, dude, can you come on the podcast and do, and talk about this? And he's like, of course. So hopefully soon we'll get him and Justin on and I'll let them uh, go on and on because it's it, it really is amazing to hear how involved the decal application is. But when you see their models, you're like, it makes sense. That's why. That's why they everything looks painted. There's there's no carrier film with anything. So anyway, that'll be a future 
Hubert episode, and um, I am long overdue with my two minutes, so I'm sorry. I'll shut up for the rest of the show. Good night, everybody. <laughs> so wait a minute. Before we go on, Whitey, I know you had to pick some stuff up at PinCon. I did. I got a couple of good deals, man. Um, they're sitting over there on my bench or shelf there. Uh, I grabbed a Tamiya Fairy Swordfish. I just like that old biplane. It's cool. I want to do the Bismarck attack uh, aircraft. Um, and also an Airfix Gloucester Media. Um, somebody, I think, who's our buddy down there in Australia works at the museum? John. He had some photos of um, their jet, Hailstorm. And this kit comes with those markings. So that's the one I'm going to do. Uh, oh, he was cool. a uh, Aussie uh, Royal Australian Air Force guy that uh, got a couple MIG kills in that jet. And then lastly, uh, a guy had for for 10 bucks um the old monogram uh f-18 just the the prototype one the with the, the white with the blue and the gold trim and uh you know ten dollars here you go and he's like you know i think there's two kits in there which there were you know and he's like go ahead take them both buy you know he's just happy to get rid of it and it's the box is beat up the some of the plastic was a bit yellowed um but of course the first thing i want to look at is the decals you know because I plan on doing that scheme, you know, the jet number one. And uh, two sets of decals in there. And, man, they're in fantastic shape. I don't know how that happened after. I, I don't, I'll have to check the copyright date on the on the instruction sheet. I'm not sure when exactly that kit came out. But, uh, it's at probably, least 40 years old. Yeah, probably when I was in Easy. grade school. You know what I would like to see? I would like to see the, the no kidding F-18 prototype, the YF-17. Yeah, you the can get a seven, straight, a, like F fifteen landing gear. Yeah, you can get like a seventy two scale kit of it, but forty eight scale, no dice. Yeah, I think it's, that'd be a nice one for like someone like Models Fit to do. You know, since they do the, yes. all those prototype uh, subjects, that'd be a good. That'd be up in their wheelhouse. So those are the three kits I picked up, and I grabbed some decals too, some Corsair decals, and then some. Uh, I, I picked up a, an old uh, IPMS sheet from the ninety seven Nats. Uh, that features Robin Old's aircraft, and it's in 48 and 72. And Tim, I owe you the 72 scale ones. I uh, thank you, some, sir. Yeah, I took some time yesterday and, and, and separated the two, and I have them bagged up, and I'll have them at the game store on Friday for you. Well, I don't plan to be at the game store on Friday. And nope. next time I see. You. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's 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 it for me, man. Hi there, model geeks and fellow scale modelers. This is Bert Kinsey of Detail and Scale to tell you about our latest publication, P47 Thunderbolt in Detail and Scale, by yours truly and illustrated by Rock Rosak. Republic's P47 Thunderbolt is certainly an iconic and historic aircraft, being built in greater numbers than any other U.S. fighter. It was able to absorb great punishment and still get its pilots safely back home again. It is arguably the best fighter-bomber aircraft of World War II. As with all Detail and Scale Aviation publications, P-47 Thunderbolt in Detail and Scale is available in both printed and digital formats. Following the introduction, the Thunderbolt history chapter chronicles the development of the P-47, tracing its roots back to earlier designs by Seversky and Republic. Then it continues with a documentation of the improvements made to the Thunderbolt to enhance its range and fighter-bomber capabilities throughout World War II. 
Next comes the Thunderbolt Variants chapter, which takes a closer look at each P47 variant, including those that were used for test and developmental purposes. For the production variants, the changes made to each are explained in the text and illustrated in drawings and photographs. The focus of each book in the Detail and Scale series is on the details of the aircraft, and the Thunderbolt Details chapter has more than 150 photographs and illustration that cover the P-47 inside and out and from the propeller to the position light on the trailing edge of the rudder. One of the highlights of this publication is the considerable number of vintage color photographs from World War II and the years following the war when the Thunderbolt was in service. These are augmented by nine color profiles. In all, there are more than 260 photographs in this publication. The book concludes with our modeler section that covers the numerous kits from the early 1950s right up to the new releases coming out today. With the new kits of the Thunderbolts currently being released by Dora Rings and new P-47D having been announced by MiniArt, our modeler section will certainly be of considerable value to scale aircraft modelers. To learn more and to order yours, visit our website at www.detailandscale.com. Now, back to the Model Geeks podcast. All right, cool. That's what everybody's got going on in their pattern. All right, so we'll move on to some geek news. And so this is where we're going to talk about new stuff we've seen on the streets. And have you guys seen anything out there? I have not. I haven't seen anything new. Um, Not to say there's not anything new. I just I haven't seen anything new. Whitey? Yeah, I yeah I guess, uh, let's see. Um, well, Furball. Furball's got A6 uh, sheet coming out uh, in conjunction with the uh, Detail and Scale pub that's coming out here shortly after. You know, they do their collaborations together. Yep. And uh, he's got low-vis A6 uh, jets coming. And I believe the way he does that is whatever, you know, all the subjects that are on his sheet, there are photos of in the pub, in the book. So, yeah. uh, you know, so he's got both Atlantic and uh, Pacific Fleet uh, aircraft featured on that sheet. Also, he's got a nice uh, P-47 sheet coming as well with, um, yes, timing enough, a lot of D. Oh, a lot how of, I, how, sorry, Whitey, yeah. how can I forget that? What the hell's wrong with me? Yeah. I get a blow in head work. Sorry, I really am going to shut up. Sorry. <laughs> uh yeah, so it's got some D-Day subjects on there, folks. So with the D-Day build uh, in full swing, you know, there's there's some more options for you there. Yep, and I think he said November. He's looking like, I think November he should have them. They should be shipping out sometime. See, that's perfect. You start your build now. By the time November rolls around, you're ready to paint and decal. Yep, you could have ready your painting and everything done, just waiting on decals. Yep. He's got a Marine F-4B slash end sheet coming out as well. Nice. All right. Cool. With a couple some new marine squadrons on it, yeah. And also, let's see. Um, I posted on the uh, model shack the other day some uh, new items from Hypersonic. Um, Jeff uh, Kubiak out of uh, from from Hypersonic. He, um, man, that guy makes he just makes some fantastic products. I've used his F four stuff in the past, and. Um, a few other items I have his that I have some A6 seats. Uh, let's see, I, I got a, a bunch of stuff. My Fury build, my FJ2, and my FJ3. I have the sets for that. Yeah, um, but he just come out with the um, nice looking F104A late update set. Uh, so if you're not familiar with the F104, uh, particularly the A models, 
uh, the early ones had that downward firing ejection seat, which was uh, as dangerous as that sounds. Uh, <laughs> so, and what this set does it. Um, uh, so late means it, it, you know reading from his page. Late means that it's an airframe that was converted to the upward firing C two seat. Therefore, you can either use the kit supplied seat or one of the various aftermarket options for it. So, uh, you know, obviously with them removing the downward firing seat, a little bit of uh, underside work to uh, close up a, a what I imagine a, a panel or two down that way. Um, and then also he's got a, uh, for the F-104, the uh, rear canopy brace uh, is uh, kind of a prominent item. Uh, and that's something you could use. Not You know, th- this, the update set is for the kinetic uh, F-104s. Um, but the F-104, the aft canopy brace, that that's uh, applicable to any F-104 kit. Um, and what a, what's another item that caught my eye on his page was the... Um, F one F sixteen A backdate set where you can do a block one five or ten jet, and um, you know so some of those early hill aircraft or in, in my mind what I'm wanting to do in the future with an F sixteen is take the um, uh, take this set and do an in an early Israeli jet like something from the real early uh, like the Bekaa Valley campaign or something oh, like, like that. Iron Eagle yeah man there you go. Um, so anyway, yeah, check out his page, hypersonicmodels.com. Um, his items are, uh, intricate, uh, exact. I mean, you, you cut where he tells you to cut in his instructions and those parts are going to fit where they're supposed to go every time. I mean, good stuff, man. And I've got his, um, F4 canopy details for the Academy kit, which I think are a must because when you look at, they don't give you anything in there. It's just the empty you know there's not no detail inside the canopy at all and he gives you those resin inserts that go in there and they fit like a glove and they look really good when you get them done yeah and all his stuff is uh you know like every like most other uh resin manufacturers he's gone uh full on with the uh 3d printing um oh, wow kind of goes along <laughs> with uh, somewhat timely topic. exactly yeah, imagine that all right now it's time for our 172nd scale update Hand over to you, El Presidente. All right, thanks. And uh, I'm going to start with uh, probably one of the most um, looked forward to uh, releases was a little bit of a surprise from Airfix, but it was the Avro Vulcan Black Buck, uh, which is the Falklands War release of their uh, Vulcan, which includes uh, uh, ECM pod and uh, I think it's a... and I'm trying. Now I'm going to forget the missile. But anyway, um, uh, I think it's a could be a Shrike. But anyway, it was a uh, anti radiation missile um, uh, that was hung externally and uh, long awaited. Um, it is expensive. Uh, it's uh, not quite twice the uh, base price of the of the Vulcan. So quite a bit for a few extra parts and the uh, um, and the correct decals. But unfortunately, there's a downside. They messed up the pylon for the ECM uh, pod. Oh. And I, they messed it up really bad. Oh, boy. Um, the good news is, and the, the mess up is, they there's a, a photo that's floating around on the internet that, um, uh, and I guess that was what they used for their reference, that shows the landing gear door. Uh, it shows the pylon sitting on, uh, a weapons cart underneath the wing. 
lined up with the pylon. So in other words, they were, they were going to load it and you can see the pylon under the wing, but in between is the main landing gear door in terms of alignment. So it looks like there's this big, long pylon that just happens to also be the same length as the uh, main landing gear door. Um, so it, it's a, uh, um, uh, a bit of a downer given how expensive it is. I, I was looking forward to this and was ready to pee the T on it as soon as they announced it. And then, uh, uh, Brit modeler just lit up with, uh, I can't believe they made that mistake. Uh, I'm waiting for somebody to go through and, and tell me that all of the correct parts are actually in the box. They just happen to have an incorrect pylon but I'm really not looking forward to buying aftermarket to fix that pylon, uh, given how expensive the uh, kit is to begin with. Well, that could be something you could 3D print? Uh, yeah, yeah, you could. Uh, I think somebody else is probably going to do that in the meantime, and I well, I would rather spend the money than... Uh, well, yeah, I meant like, not not you, but somebody yeah, yeah, yeah. who... Oh, oh I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody, yeah, yeah that's what I expect. I expect somebody to absolutely... Uh, uh, print provide printed uh, correction for that, um, but that was a downer. So anyway, on, on a positive note, though, Airfix did re-release their FG1 Phantom, and uh, it, it's a, as a re-release. The only reason I'm bringing it up is because they included the uh, um, in their decal sheet the Colonial Navy markings for the <laughs> the Ark Royal Bird that uh, uh, landed on the Saratoga in '78, and and of course the the uh, fighter squadron there zapped them. And uh, it was, it's awesome. It, it, I got to do that particular scheme. It's just uh, that neat. You couldn't pull something like that today. No, no, unfortunately. Well, especially with all the fancy uh, paint schemes and, uh, you know, the. Uh, well, aside from the. The type F- of paints we use. Yeah, aside from like the F-35s and, you know, everything else is just all vinyl sticker. Yeah. You go out there and peel it off and stick a new one on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be fun. That took some effort, though, because, I mean, they masked off and they repainted and, mm-hmm. like, made it look. <laughs> yeah, they painted out the Royal for where it said Royal Navy. They painted that out and then masked it off and then painted Colonial. And it, it looks natural. I mean, it's the same font. It's awesome. It's it's like, what a great, you know, life was nice back then. That's pretty awesome, yeah, that you could do that. I mean, like you said, for now, now today, man, phew. Be yep. standing tall in front of the man, pulling your wings and scrubbing toilets. Yep. Flying yeah. a cargo plane full of rubber dog poo-poo <laughs> out of Hong Kong. <laughs> Wasn't there a little bit of payback later on with the uh, submarine phantoms that went aboard the Ark Royal? And they painted the yes. tails, I believe, with the uh, yes. British markings. Yes, they did. Now, I'm not sure if that was done as uh, in, in the same spirit, like to zap. I think, or was that done as uh, kind of a... Did they spend some, I don't know, I'd have to go back and read some uh, history on that. Yeah, I don't know if they had like a a debt on board, uh, you know, for a few days. I I think it was the same thing. It was a, it was a zap and they, um, because they, they landed aboard for some reason, could have been for a planning meeting or, you know, let's trade, let's trade a few of our uh, aircraft and pilots for a week and uh, let them go. I'm I'm sure that's, it's all part of the same thing because it's the same time frame. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Door, door wings is, uh, announced a, uh, ferry Delta FD two. Um, and, uh, that's in spruce shots and there's a test build out now on the, on the facing book. Um, 
the and the nice thing about that is the the previous kit of the Ferry Delta is the old Frog Novo kit from good lord it's got to be 50 years old now and it's awful so that's a that's one that I'm looking forward to it even comes with the uh, droopy nose so the whole cockpit forward droops down okay. so that the pilot can can don't, see the approach don't mind me but I'm googling what a ferry delta is because I have no idea yeah it's a prototype delta aircraft that uh, looks pretty cool looks fast really fast uh, let's see a, a new company out of Ukraine called uh, Taki uh, is um, uh, has announced a J twenty two O R A O Oreo. I'm not sure the letters are all capitalized. So I'm not sure what that stands for, but it's an attack jet. Uh, I guess it was pretty predominant uh, uh, back in the '90s into 2000s. Uh, Spruce shots and the box art are available. Um, so that's uh, I, I, I mention it because it looks pretty cool. Uh, includes some weapons, that kind of stuff. Not familiar with the airplane at all. Um, special hobby, uh, F-84F Thunderstreak. Uh, it's at the test build stage. Uh, they've put that on the facing book and, um, uh, still listed as a September release. So could be out any day now, uh, as this goes to, uh, goes to print, if you will. And the, um, uh, so I'm looking forward to picking up one of those at Telford and, uh, see how, how it builds. If, if like any other special hobby kit, it's probably going to build really well. You get to go to Telford. Oh yeah, that that's on my that that is on my deal with uh, with my wife. Is I that wanna, I we go to, we go, go to I get to go to nationals in the U.S. every year, and I get to go to Telford anytime I want. Man, that sounds like fun. Need to take some stickers with you. Yeah, Man. definitely, definitely. Uh, let's see. Last on my list is the uh, an update on the Sword RF8 Photo Crusader. Uh, Spruce shots. Uh, they're finally out there on the facing book, and uh, it looks pretty sweet, um, but only as sweet as a limited run kit can get you. So, because it is Sword, so it's going to be limited run. Uh, it's probably it, you know it's not going to be Tamiya fall together kind of build, but uh, hey, at the end of the day, it's an RF8 Crusader in seventy second scale. I'm looking forward to that Crusader though. Definitely. Um, I'm definitely going to get it. And, uh, and at, they're at a point where they potentially could be available at, uh, at Telford as well. Um, who knows? If it is, awesome. I'll bring one of those home. And that's all I've got for 72nd scale. All right. Thanks, Tim. Well, you guys went to PenCon last weekend, so that takes care of that show. And then, so for shows and contests, we have our show coming up and uh, Mr. El Presidente, why don't you give our listeners an update for PaxCon? All right. Will do. Um, 7 October. So when this hits the street, you guys will be listening to it. Guess what? It's a week away. So be planning your trip, thinking about, uh, you know, as you go through your modeling over the weekend, think about uh, um, heading towards Hollywood, uh, Maryland. Hollywood Volunteer Fire Department, make the drive down and come to the world's greatest local show in Southern Maryland. So let's see. We still have a handful of vendor tables remaining. And when I say handful, I think six, maybe seven uh, at this point. I know we got uh, another another purchase within the last 24 hours. We also got, uh, uh, if I'm remembering my numbers right, three more bronze tier um, show sponsors within the last uh, 48 hours. Uh, which is awesome. 
And then uh, let's see, uh, although we're still accepting sponsors, um, you know, feel free to go online and uh, uh, please definitely uh, buy a sponsorship, whether it's for awards or the show in general. Uh, they're still there. Uh, I do understand that the uh, registration forms, there seems to be an issue that came up today where folks are having difficulty filling them out. Uh, not sure what's going on with that. When we tested them, they worked. So uh, I'm going to have to dive into that this week and and knock that out. So by the time you hear it, it should be fixed, uh, whatever that fix is. And uh, I'll make sure that there's words online that explains what's going on. Uh, I owe some uh, updates on the Facebook and uh, I'll, I'll post those up within the next 24 hours or so, just in terms of um, what's going on and, and uh, give folks some, a heads up there so that they've got the link and uh, they can start uh, planning for some details. While at PenCon, I did talk to Wes from, uh, I believe it's Baltimore IPMS, and he said, got a big crew coming down, going to help us out with judging, set up, tear down. Uh, some of them are going to show up Friday. Some are going to be here late Saturday to help with tear down. So um, he's Thank he's you. ready to come down and help us. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Tim, for reaching out to him. And again, thanks for not only to the Baltimore folks, but just to everybody who's going to attend and mm-hmm. has already kind of, you know, come up to me or, you know, a number of us and just offered their support, whether it's help judging, setting up, take whatever, um, even just attending you know, I think is, is great. Um, we're all hoping to have a fairly good sized show. I think we're prepared for one, you know, a big one, a bigger than, uh, maybe we initially had hoped for, but yeah. Uh, Hey, uh, can't wait to see everybody. I think it's going to be great. Well, and that's all we, I've got. All right. Well, cool. Well, before we go on, I get you guys's PenCon wrap up. Just want to mention after our show in October, then that's kind of it for the show season for us. But never fear, never fear, because we pick up and we kick it right off again on Saturday, 26 February, 2024, with the ODO over at Richmond International Raceway for yeah, IPMS, yeah. IPMS, IPMS Old Richmond. Old Dominion. That's it. That's it, folks. The ODO is back. And Man, we'll be I'm it. looking forward to that one. Yeah, it's always a great time. It's like one of my favorite shows to go that's, to. It's a mini Nats, man. That's it is. Yeah. There was a there was a gentleman that we met at um I can't remember who I was having the conversation with at um uh about the about Old Dominion and they said that they had just the first time they went was last year and that they had no idea that that show was that big and that good and I'm like, "Man, I, I try to tell everybody. It's it's other than Nationals, it is the best show that I've ever been to. It's it's huge. It's awesome. Oh, it's a good time. Should be a two-dayer. Yes. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. All right. So now I got to hear because I wasn't there. Uh-oh. Let me hear you guys' PenCon wrap-up. Why do you want you start us off, man? I've been doing too much talking today. Okay. All right, man. They all like, you got a much, everybody likes your voice more than mine anyway. So, yeah. I'll, so, yeah. Take we it away. There, uh, we got up there bright and early and, um, let's see, Miss Robin, she got us a, uh, set us up on a table to, uh, set up the, um, road studio. Uh, and we did actually get some content this time. That's always not the case. Usually we get sidetracked and doing things, but we, uh, sat down and talked with a couple of folks and, uh, I don't think we're going to plug those into this episode. We'll save those for next, uh, for a follow on episode. 
Um, but I will mention one of the smaller companies that we did talk to real quick. Uh, he was a nice gentleman. Uh, let's see, Chad Kennedy representing CK Mod Kits. Uh, check them out. Um, they make uh, 172 and 144 scale uh, resin uh, sets. Um, and the, the stuff 3D you know, printed resin. 3, 3D printed, yes. Uh, you know, walk by his table, stuff caught my eye. And um, so I was more than happy to, uh, you know, shoot, uh, you know, talk with him and, and get some information on his company and products he's got coming. Uh, so stay tuned for a uh, future episode for a, a talk with him. Um, Let's see, you know, and, and of course we met, met up with some old friends, made some new ones while we were up there. Uh, of course, Chad, Daner, and Pete from the uh, PenCon Central PA IPMS, you know, they were there, combined, said hello to us. Um, our buddy Chris Dirks, Jeremy Moore, Nelson Key, Matt Lunn. Uh, ben Hardaway and then uh, Justin Ryan and his wife Patty and their uh, kids, uh, uh, you know, the whole family right there. They're all, you know, very enthusiastic about going to the shows and they're going to come on down to our uh, PaxCon show. Um, so looking forward to seeing them again. Uh, also, I met a fellow, uh, Scott Hubner. He's a sci-fi and aircraft builder. Uh, talked with him for a little bit. And um, I believe he gave us some feedback uh, in um, – some some emails later on that we'll we'll uh, get to. Uh, who else did we run into? Dave. Dave came by and said hello with us for a little bit and talked. Uh, yeah, so it was always good uh, to see everybody, old friends. And let's see, uh, vendor wise, it was decent vendor turnout. And of course, the tables were packed with a lot of fantastic work. Um, let's see, we you know I, I entered a couple of items and. Um, Walked away with a couple of prizes. I was really uh, su- surprised to uh, pick up an award uh, and appreciative as always. I mean, it's ni- nice to be uh, awarded for your hard work, I guess, you know, uh, humbling, if, if anything else. Uh, how about you guys? What's, what's your uh, take on the show? Yeah, I, I, yeah go, I, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. No, I was just saying, um, yeah, it was great. To, I, I, just like we always say, the, the most fun uh, part of the show is 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 running into the people people that um the from starting to see familiar faces you know um and then you know being able to sit down and just chat with folks um about models or the podcast or the hobby or things and uh you know everybody's just always so enthusiastic and and so excited and which in turn makes us enthusiastic and excited so uh, seeing the people is always the most fun and then probably the vendors and then, you know, the contest stuff is that's so down on the list. I just love, I love looking at the models too, just sitting and talking to folks about, uh, you know, Hey, show me what you got. Like Chad Bowser, he showed me, he's like, Hey, I want to show you this. Star. I was like, what'd you bring? And he's like, Oh, I brought this star Wars piece. I'm like, dude, let me see it. Cause this guy, you know, Chad, he's just like Mr. First place, stellar award winner, like master modeler. Um, he's very humble, but he is, the dude is just unreal and he's super inspirational and he built this snow speeder. Then the way he had it positioned on the base, we sat and chatted about it for like a half hour. It was awesome. It's really, so that's the kind of stuff that I love the most about the shows is just sitting and chatting with your buddies and BS and, you know, so I, I really had a good time. They always take such good care of us. They're so nice to us, you know? And, uh, so it was fun to be there and I can't wait, uh, to be come back next year. But Tim, how about you? What was your thoughts? 
yeah, I, I enjoyed uh, walking around, talking to a couple of guys. Uh, the club here, we took a uh, our dis- the uh, not a zero display up, and uh, of course, Robin was able to set aside a couple of tables for us. And we uh, uh, so there in the contest room, we had uh, I forget the number of um, Japanese aircraft that were on the tables, but they were full. And uh, just like um, uh, when we displayed at nationals, so. Um, that, it, that looked really good. Had a lot of folks come up and, uh, ask about the different aircraft. And of course it helped, uh, this time because I had some guys from the club were there. So they were able to, um, chat with folks as they came up and looked at them. And, uh, uh, it's always good. And I, and I, I will note that this time around though, that we had a, uh, a new aircraft on the table. We had a Mavis that, uh, really stood out because it was in flight as opposed to the, everything else was down on the, on the table, literally. But the Mavis was in flight, had a nice bank to it, and uh, really stood out. Guys were amazed when they they saw how big it was because they, a lot of people don't realize how how big the seaplanes, Japanese seaplanes were. They were massive. Uh, pretty cool stuff. I, I and, finally got it done. Yeah, so. I know, and it looks great. <laughs> it looks awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. And then, uh, the, let's see what there was one. Oh yeah. They, I had, uh, I entered three things. Uh, cause I, as I've said before, I, I love supporting the local club and entering in the contest just to let people see what it is I put on the table and, uh, and, and what it is I build. And I did a, I did a, uh, Star Trek enterprise, uh, as well as, uh, I took my big P 47, which belongs to Hank now, by the way, uh, but I did take it down and uh, put it on the table. And then uh, the last thing was my uh, F3D Sky Knight, my MIG killer, stuck that on the table. And and I did come home with uh, a a couple of awards. So the, the MIG killer did well, as well as the uh, Enterprise. I was shocked that uh, um, it, that I actually, because uh, I, I had no expectations of uh, of any award. And uh, I was I was uh, pleasantly surprised. That uh, I got to bring those home, so I uh, I pulled a pulled a Vince and immediately bought those little coin holders, so that I've got uh, something to stick next to the model on the shelf, and uh, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Anyway, that that's really uh, that's it for me. I, I enjoyed talking with Chad uh, Kennedy. Uh, and I thought that was pretty good, and looking forward to having his uh, his interview in the in in a future uh, episode. That's All right, it. man. Sounds like I missed a pretty good time. You did, buddy. You did. <laughs> and uh, there's one more show I wanted to mention, and that is the IPMS Palouse Area Modelers are having their 27th annual Show Off the Good Stuff Scale Model Show and Contest on Saturday, 30 September 2023 in Moscow, Idaho. I know it's a bit of a far of a drive for us, but... If your listeners are out there in, in the area and that's a, something that you can do, go out and support those guys. By all means, head on out there and uh, support those guys. Hey, what you got, President Day? Yeah, I, I got to go, by the way. Uh, I just wanted to mention Colin, uh, uh, Carlos Danger. Uh, Colin drove up with me uh, to PenCon, and this was his first time putting uh, models on the table. And he brought home two awards as well. Was it really? Yep, it was his first time, and he uh, his uh, B twenty five and his P forty that uh, he just recently uh, finished and had shared some photographs with us. He uh, kind of did it as an afterthought, uh, just before he left house. He said, "You know what? I think I'll take these two. and uh, and he did. He uh, he actually got awards. So, oh, good awesome. Yeah, yeah. So he's good for uh, him. Yep. 
just wanted to mention that. Give him a shout out. Awesome. Good job, Carlos Danger. Hey, for a complete list of model shows in your neck of the woods, be sure to check out the IPMS USA website at www.ipmsusa.org slash contest. Hey guys, it's Chris at Inside the Armour Publications. I'd like to tell you about our summer sale. For the month of August, you can get 20% off any purchase. Just enter summer 23 at checkout. The sale covers everything we sell from Tetra PE sets and details to the incredible 148 Wingsy Kits aircraft kits. From your Mashta Hobby Ship kits to all our books, including ebooks and the models from Ukraine books. So grab an outstanding book, kit, or detail set with a full 20% off at www.insidethearmor.com. And don't forget that promo code SUMMER23. All right, so my tool and tip of the episode is when I was sitting here and I was putting the decals on the, um, the 109, it had raised, well, it has raised rivets, raised panel lines. And so I was having a hard time moving decals around and so i was going through my drawer for some other stuff and i happened to see that i and remembered that i bought these i guess they're silicon glue silicon glue applicators for women doing like eyelashes or whatever they use makeup glue for but they're they have a paintbrush handle on them and they have a silicon tip on the end and they are awesome for moving decals around so you don't have to worry about getting your fingers on there and them sticking to your fingers Cool. And you just get that. it wet and you can you can slide it around on Dude, your I want to I want a link. I can see if I can I got I got mine in Hobby Lobby, so Okay. But yeah, I'll put a piss I'll find a link and put it in the show notes and post a picture of what they look like. Cool. Cool. All right. Now we're moving on to mail call. Mail call. And the mailbag was we have some good emails in the mailbag this time around. And there's one email that I wanted to touch on. And I kind of shared this one with my wife. And I told her, you know, it's like, you know, when we started this podcast three years ago, we just started it as a way for four nerds can, you know, Navy, retired Navy guys get around. Geeks. And, yeah, geeks, you know, yeah. blue sniffers. We're and talk nerds, about model airplanes. We are not nerds, man. We are geeks. <laughs> there's there's a difference. Know, and we're not dorks. No. Nope. Yeah. We're geeks. You know, uh, well, my wife thinks I am sometimes. Well, but most people probably think we're dorks too, but we know we're not. That's we're right. The, we're the cool kids. Yeah. You we're know, the geeks. We are. And so when we started this, you know, it was just something for us to do to help spread the, you know, spread the hobby. And here we are three years later. And this is not the only email that we've gotten like this, but, you know, it kind of put, you know, humbles you a bit when, you get an email from a listener and, you know, they go through something, you know, a pretty dark time in their life, something tragic. And they tell you that our, that your podcast helped them get through a dark time. And it just kind of makes you, you know, you step back and you think you're like, wow, we did that. And being able to provide that to people, I think is like the best thing about all of this. Because, I mean, we see it all the time. We go places, we go shows or, People come up to us. Oh, you're the model geeks, or you'll be talking in a, in, a, in the contest room, and someone's like, "Oh, I know that voice," you know. And you just reach all these different people, and it's amazing that we can touch this many people and have this impact. Impact, excuse me. And so I think that's that's very humbling. And I I know I speak for all of us here at the Model Geeks podcast that we are beyond humbled, and we appreciate every single listener out there. Because you guys are what keep us going and why we do this. 
Absolutely. Amen, Amen brother. I don't think we, any of us could said, could said could have said that any better. Yeah, it's just, I think we're all kind of blown away when you get, like you said, Phil, you get an email like that and you realize you're touching people or helping them get through a difficult time. I, I mean... That was that was something we never. I don't ever remember us talking about when we were going to start the podcast. That would never even cross anybody's minds that we would impact somebody like that. So, yeah, it's um, it's pretty amazing. Yes, and beyond humbled. Then we got another email from a Mike Gordy, and this one's directed at you, Scott. Uh oh. He says, thank you very much for giving him a shout out in the last episode. It really meant a lot to him that you remembered him out of the hundreds of people that were the Nationals this year. And he says he really wants to thank you for taking the time, the one-on-one time that you spent with him, teaching him how you paint your TPS schemes ahead of the seminar. And he says he's taking that knowledge and he is going to apply that to two of his Super Hornet bills that he is working on. Cool, man. Well, Mike, it's, uh, it was my pleasure to sit and talk to you. It was great to meet you. And uh, you ever have any questions or whatever, of course, just just drop us a line or, you know, reach out, you know, PM me or whatever. And I'm always happy to help. So, again, the pleasure was all mine uh, to meet you. And, um, you know, you're more than welcome for, um, you know, anything. And I, I just, you know, again, thanks for thanks for being involved with the podcast, being a great listener. And hope I'm glad. Um, somebody liked the seminar. I got a lot of people that were like, dude, why don't you just put pictures up? I'm like, Oh God, I know. I know. I'm sorry. The next seminar I give on that, I will just have pictures. So yes, please beat me about the head, neck, chest uh, area with your shoes or your glasses or something, but Oh boy. So yeah, sorry about that. Next time I'll just do pictures, but yes, Mike, you're the man. Keep painting brother. And, uh, you got any questions? Just give us a, give us a shout. All right, man. Thanks for all. Yeah, man. Let me, we got another email from a James Mirando. Sorry if I per- mispronounced your last name. And he says, Hey geeks really enjoy your podcast, particularly discussions about your bills as well as your tips and tricks. He's like having recently jumped back into the modeling to revive one of my childhood joys. He's like, I've learned a- much from your collective knowledge and experience along with a very entertaining banter to listen to while at my bench. Your contagious enthusiasm has inspired him to join the Operation Overlord group build, and he is going to do a P-47D Razorback. So he says, I want to express my heartfelt appreciation to you all. And he also asked a question. He's like, in the last episode, well, two episodes ago, episode 63, Darren said he was going to do some riveting on his P-47 that he is building for his Operation Overlord build. And he says that he would like to do the same and is asking, you know, what website does Darren use to get the line drawings and stuff to be able to do the rivets? And, and James, I can help you out with that because I too use this website and I have them downloaded as well to go when I go to re-rivet a, or when I go to rivet a P47 and it's www.airwar.ru slash other slash draw. And you can go there and it has a bunch of different aircraft where you can get all kinds of line drawings that you need. And so he said it'd be a first for him and he would like to get some guidance on how to do this. So there you go. 
I would go there and you can download as many as you want. All right. And so our last email comes from Mr. Don Schmitz. And he is out there with uh, IPMS Masson with um, Jeff Hearn. And um, Don is the guy who is organizing the Tiger Meat display only sp- space at the Masson Nats. And he wanted to get an email address for an official contact to send information and questions to. So I gave him my email to be a point of contact for the Operation Overload um, group build coordination at Nats. But he also says, I want to get your feedback on rectangular rectangular versus round tables. There isn't much difference in how well the tables fit in the room, but it might be a little easier for spectators to flow around the tables, and he is wanting our input on that. So briefly, gentlemen, <laughs> what are, are the why do we prefer rectangular tables Oof. and go? Oh boy. Um, okay, I'll start. Um, the reason why I prefer rectangular over round is that um, the ease of being able to look at the model with a round table, you've got to lean really far over. So your shirt, even if you're not wearing like a lanyard or whatever, you have to, you have to lean over a bunch more models on a round table and it's much, you're only really going to be able to view the outside row. It's, it's much, much harder to get into that center section. And then when you're talking about moving models, it just, it's very difficult to move models when you're on a round table. So that's just my take is the rectangular tables are, um, are much, 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 much better. I'll echo uh, Scott's view. The, the, uh, my experience with round versus uh, rectangular is that with a rectangular table, uh, when I'm, when I'm looking at a model, I'm only, I only have to look roughly two feet. Um, And if I'm a judging, I only have to, um, in order to slide it forward so that I can get a good look at it as a judge, I only have to reach a foot or two uh, to, to touch the paper that it's sitting on. With the round table, um, I'm just, uh, holy cow, that one that's close to the center, uh, and there's usually three or four on every table, those are just way too hard to see and to get to. All right, so what about for display only? Same thing. It's just too hard to, it's much easier. It, like a, a rectangular table, you only have to, what, you're maybe like two models deep or a round mm-hmm. table, you might be three or four deep. So the ones that are at the center, you just, you just can't see them. It's just hard to, hard to see cool. the, the center section. So yeah, that's round tables are, um, yeah, just the, a big negative on the round table. Yeah. I mean, I think. All right. I, I was just going to say, sorry, just, I, I think, but some places, if that's all they got, then I'd rather have around than versus Good nothing. Man. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for writing in or dropping us a line on our Facebook page. If you have any questions, show suggestions, or just want to say that you're tuning in, feel free to toss us a message at contact at modelgeekspodcast.com or post it on our Facebook page. Hey, modelers, Furball Jeff here. Are you tired of boring, underperforming, or inaccurate decals that just plain suck? Not to worry, Furball Aero Design has you covered. We have an extensive lineup of ultra-high-quality aircraft decals covering U.S. military aircraft subjects from World War II to the present day. Our extensively researched decal sets are printed to the hobby industry's highest quality standard by Cartograph of Italy. Only Cartograph can capture minute details with stunning fidelity. 
The colors on our sets are printed to match U.S. federal standard colors for maximum accuracy. Every furball set has numerous options and include lavishly illustrated detailed placement guides. Our decals have minimal carrier film and will give the markings on your model that painted on look. So if you're ready to take your build to the next level, check out our website at furballarrow-design.com. That's furballarrow-design.com. And now back to the geeks. So now, you know, when it was my turn for the episode, I was sitting here thinking like, what could we do? What could we do? What could we do? And I went to my aftermarket bin and I went to go pull something out. And I realized I'm like, I got all this 3D printed stuff. And it came to me like, oh, that'd be a cool topic to discuss. And so at the Nets, we had the pleasure of meeting John Colasante. And he is the one who gifted the geeks with these amazing Pratt & Whitney engines for the Edward Wildcat. Hell yeah, and he did. They're just <laughs> they're amazing. Yeah, they're and beautiful. So, so I had mine cool. here and I was like, man, I would love to know how to do this. And so I reached out to John and he was gracious enough to sit down with us for a little while last week. And we interviewed him to get his thoughts on 3D printing and give us a little rundown about how to get started. And let's go to the interview. All right, Model Geeks, welcome to episode 65. Our main topic this evening is going to be an interview with John Colasante. You guys may have seen his work around on uh, his Matters of Scale Facebook page and on his Instagram at, at Matters underscore of underscore scale. John, welcome to the Model Geeks podcast, friend. Thank you very much. It's a real honor to to be here. Yeah, I mean, you got some uh, you got some serious skills when it comes to the old uh, resin printing, my friend, because you about blew us all away at Nats when you're like, hey, Scott, what's up? I was like, hey, John, what's going on? And you're like, hey, what do you think of this? And it's like jaw, floor, hit you know drool it was just it's absolutely fantastic so um i think what we all want to know is how the hell did you do that <laughs> <laughs> well we can we can talk about that um i uh I, I enjoy talking about 3d printing and and so this is a great opportunity to to go into all that sweet well certainly look forward to it but yeah to echo what scott said john yeah, when you handed me that engine, I was just like, uh, what is this? You know, I was like, is this resin? And then when, I, when you said it was 3D printed, it just blew my mind. And I was like, man, I want to. So I kind of put the little bookmark in my mind that I wanted to do a, a show on 3D printing because I just think it's it's taken over the hobby now. I mean, just with the advances in 3D printing over the last, I would say, less than 10 years now. I mean, I think, you know, everything is just, it's being more affordable to modelers. For more like last too. year. So it's just like last year yeah. or two. It's just all of a sudden, all the products that you've typically seen, like True Details. I remember when True Details stuff first came out when they were doing resin aftermarket. You're just like, wow, what is this? I don't have to use PE? Sweet. And, yeah. uh, you know, then some of the cockpits and stuff. And now it's just like the stuff they're coming, like res kit, what they're coming out with, just unbelievable you know and i yep. think uh phase hanger and, and of course the, like i said the engine that you've produced is just it's just unbelievable it's really nice yeah, it's, so it's yeah. um it, it's really exploded um and especially in the last few years it, it seems like everyone is getting on board with 3d printing and we can talk about why um 
and it's only going to get better. And I think that uh, the scale model community is really interested in 3D printing. It seems like it's a buzz. Everyone is talking about either getting involved in it or buying 3D printed products. So there's a lot to talk about, and it's a very big thing in our in our hobby right now. Hey, John, real quick, before we get too far along, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? You know, like, sure. what do you like to build? You know, your genre, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I'm primarily, I've, like everyone else, I don't have to go into the story. You know, we have the same story. Building as a, as a child, as a kid, um, left the hobby for a while and came back maybe around 10 years ago, really started taking it seriously. But um, so it's always been a real passion of mine, model building. And my primary, um, I used to build a lot of armor when I was a kid. I think I built every Tamiya kit from back in the day. Um, but now I'm more of an aircraft uh, builder. So uh, I would say primarily 48th scale, although I do like 32nd. And occasionally occasionally I'll do a, um, a 72nd, like a bomber or something like that. Not, not, uh, not single engine props, but maybe some jets and things. So I would say I'm primarily a, an aircraft builder, but I do dabble in armor and I want to get more into it. All right. So what, if you want to start kind of like from the beginning, what kind of made you, what made you get into 3d printing? Like what was your introduction yeah. to 3d printing? Well, I've always, I've always been really interested in, um, in making things like, you know, the term maker. I don't particularly like that term, but I've always been a maker. I've always been some, you know, dabbling in, in, um, all sorts of, uh, all sorts of, uh, crafts and things like that. So 3D printing was something that I always had my eye on. And when it became available to consumers, you know, at, a, at an affordable level, that's when I jumped in. So I got my first uh, 3D printer around 2013. That oh, wow. was a, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. That was a, um, it was not a resin printer that we're all interested in now. It was an FDM printer, which we can talk about. It's the, it's the, um, it's the type of printer that kind of squirts plastic like out of a toothpaste tube type thing onto your – and I think you guys have, have worked on that, right? <laughs> that, yeah, I think that's what you Tim's go. got. Right, right. Yeah, so, Tim has one. Yeah, those, point at it those, in the background there. Yeah, we can talk about the uses of those. Those do have a use in scale modeling, although they're not the ones that everyone is talking about right now. So I started out with, um, with an FDM printer uh, in 2013. It was called um, Solid Doodle. It was kind of a an upstart, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a, a an upstart uh, uh, 3D printer maker. Um, they're no longer around, but there's tons of FDM printers, as you know. So I started out with that, and then I got into resin printing with a. Uh, are you familiar with Form Labs form form printers? Okay, so I got a Form One clone in 2014 which was basically uh, a Chinese-made kind of a clone. They tried to copy the Form 1. Um, it was my first foray into, into resin printing. So I've been doing it for about 10 years, both wow, okay. FDM. And, and then I've had a bunch of printers since then. I've always been upgrading. So, you know, right now I'm working with um, the, the Frozen Sonic Mini uh, 8K printer and the Mighty 8K. Uh, but I've had a few in between. Um, so, yeah, I've always... You know, I've had printers for about ten years. I've been working uh, on them for a while. I'm, yeah, I'm. I'm just curious. Again, again, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show how little I know about 
um, resin printing, 3D printing. But, you know, um, it's, I'm sure there's probably a pretty steep learning curve. Um, and, you know, I, I guess it's just tons and tons and tons of trial and error. But I guess that's the beauty of having your own machine. You can you're, you, you can make mistakes. And I'm sure every time you're making a mistake, you're learning from it. Um, and then what, but like getting started, you know, versus, so the machines, whenever you're getting started versus the machines that you're using today, like mm-hmm. what kind of price difference? Cause I assume kind of with 3d printers with stuff, you can, you can go from fairly cheap to really expensive depending on the fidelity and how much detail you want. So like, I'm just curious, like price wise, what are these machines sure. Good for? Sure. So, so it turns out right now, you know, you're absolutely right. The 3D printing definitely takes, there's a learning curve. I'm not even talking about designing parts for 3D printing. I'm talking about yeah. the actual use of the printer. You're, you, you, you get a file and you want to print it. And so there's definitely a learning curve. Um, I think the, the latest crop of printers now that have come out in the last few years have, a lot of people are, are, are having success with them. They're fairly easy to use. Not the same. It, it wasn't the same way, you know, you uh, even five years ago. It was, it was yeah. a lot harder. And there's a lot more information and knowledge out there now. But um, the prices that we're looking at, the prices have come way down also. And if you catch a good sale, and we can go into later, like, my recommendations for printers. But really, you can get into a resin 3D printer, maybe not the highest resolution one, for scale modeling work for $200. Oh wow! You know, okay, my, 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 you know, and then you're going to need a few accessories. Now that's not going to get you probably the the highest resolution one, but I'm seeing printers now for three hundred dollars with a smaller build plate. Again, res three thousand dollars. Then you're into the form labs, form two or form three. But you don't really need that for scale modeling. That's not what we're all using. You know, yeah. we're using the desktop. I'm assuming this whole discussion is about desktop consumer printers, right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Right. Because you could spend a lot more. And of course there are printers that are, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that, you know, that um, companies like Edward uses and and things like that. Cool. All right. So, so would you say that the barriers then for the barriers of entry are getting easier for the average modeler to get into this kind of thing? Because I mean, what's like the, what's the learning curve associated with the Okay. So I think, I think the barriers are definitely lowering in terms of cost for sure. Um, there are still, there are still some, some, some barriers in terms of like environmental, like how much of a mess it makes, where you can use it. You know, we'll talk about that, but let's talk about the learning curve for a second. So, you know, you have the, the experience of, of people who use these things. And I'm sure you've heard some guys will get one of these things and they'll be like, Oh, it was no problem. I just, put the file in and I got my miniature, whatever it was, you know, you'll, you'll hear that. And then other guys will have tremendous problems and they'll, they'll, they'll be ready to like just give up because they just can't get it working. Now, I think a lot of that has to do with, first of all, what you're printing. Okay. If you, if you want to print, for example, miniatures, you know, like these gaming miniatures, like for Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, and, and you want to buy them with, um, already set up for printing. We call that pre-supported, okay? Which means uh, in resin printing, the you know, Scott, you saw that thing had all those, the tree on it, right? Of, yeah, of yeah, supports. yeah, yeah. So if the, if the miniature is already pre-supported and, it, and, it's, and it's tested and, it's, and it prints well and you, you, you get your printer, you get a high-quality printer, 
you 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 happen to level you have to go through a leveling procedure for the printer if you level it and it works out and you get a, a file that's I'll call it well behaved you know it's it's a it's a good file it's a printable sure, file yeah. you could have a great you could have a success the first time okay but on the other hand what you should expect is a learning curve and I would say at least a couple of weeks and at least you know at the worst case scenario you go through like a a liter of resin before you get a good print and you're going to be extremely frustrated yeah. and you want, you're going to want to throw the thing out of the window, but don't, you know, don't do that. Don't, don't give up, uh, stick with it because we've all gotten our printers working, right? We've all gotten them eventually working. Yeah. And I think, um, uh, what, what, what can happen to some people is they just get a bad printer. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah. and then, the, and then, you know, Nothing will fix it. Like it just doesn't print. There's something wrong with the screen, or there's something wrong with the, uh, the the light array on it. And eventually, they'll they'll have to reach out to tech support. Those cases are probably going down. You know, in the early days of printing, there were much more problems. But since the printer manufacturers have iterated on their printers so much, they have a much better idea of how these things work. So now you're not going to see that as much. Okay, but I would say expect at least a couple of weeks of intense learning. And possibly more, depending on what you're trying to do. What is it? Yeah. What? I'm sorry, Phil. What is the? So the uh, the actual like, for example, just talking resin printers. So um, what is the what is the resin cost? Like, what's the cost for the? So like, if the printer yeah, is yeah. like a couple hundred bucks, three, four hundred. Let's just say four hundred bucks for a good one. Right. How much is the actual? Is the resin expensive or is it not too? Expensive? So yeah, that's a great question. So the resin, um, like everything else, it varies, right? But I would say, um, and, and you usually buy it in a in a liter container. Okay, by the liter, you can buy half liters too. But it's common to buy it in a liter. You can get it on Amazon. Amazon has a million listings for resins. Gotcha. But I would say you should expect to pay about thirty dollars a liter. Now, you can find it on sale cheaper, um, but that's going to be your lower quality resin. And you could spend a hundred dollars per liter, depending on you know if you want like what they call an engineering resin. With, sure. Properties that really, um, you know, uh, they, they hold the detail. They're tough. They they don't they don't shrink or anything like that. But you don't need that for scale models. I think for scale modeling, around a thirty dollars resin. Got it. Cool. So now, is there a shelf life associated with this resin, or can you buy it and it lasts you a year? year you know, that's a, a great question. Um, so, of course, the, the resin right is UV sensitive. It's sensitive to light to to, to UV light, not not light from a lamp, but from the sun or a UV light source. So as long as you keep the resin in a container, and they all come in like these black containers, right? They, they, no sunlight can get on them. As long as you keep them in the containers and that's not the issue, and you keep it in like a cool, dry place, I've had resins for a couple of years that I still use. I think though, yeah, I think oh, wow. the, 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 the book uh, shelf life is less than that. It could be months or a year, but I've used resins for a couple of years with, with no issues. So, you know, I, I don't know what, the, you know, you, you probably want to check the official, you know, manufacturer to, to find out what their shelf life is, but I think you can go, it's like, you know, food in your refrigerator. You, you let it go a little longer. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> hey, John, can I, um, can I back up on the one, the pre-supported, uh, yeah, yeah. um, um, item? Yeah. 
so uh, I, I've been doing some printing, but not resin. I've been doing printing with uh, my FDM printer for about eight weeks. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and so one thing I've learned very, very quickly is, uh, um, is the, uh, I guess I would call it G code only because that's what I end up creating to actually tell my printer what to do. Right. And the, um, uh, w- when I download a file, I, I learned very quickly, don't download the G code, download the STL and then create my own G code for my Correct. printer. Correct. And, and what I've found is, I mean, when you say pre-supported, um, does that mean it's an, an STL file or a G code file? Yeah. Great question. So just to back up a little, FDM printers use G code and resin printers use a different kind of code to send to the printer because resin printers use a series of images that they, that they slice. Okay. And the, and the, and the FDM printer uses instructions on how the motors need to move, to move right, that head. Right. So regardless of what kind of printer you have, the step to get from the STL, which is the 3d model to the, G code or the resin printer file is called a slicer. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, that's, that's how I get there. And yeah. which slicer do you use? I use Prusa. They would, it's the one that okay, yeah. is designed for my printer. So Right. And and the Prusa slicer is a is a is a is a good slicer. It's a well-known slicer. So basically, when you get the STL, you t- typically I've never heard of anyone getting unless you have the identical printer with I mean literally it has to be like the same firmware and everything, unless you have the same firmware as me, we really can't share G code between right, our printers because right. the, the slicer translates the 3d model into the language of the printer, which is very specific to the printer. So I don't even know how you were able to get a, you know, download someone else's G code and use it on your printer. I would never think that would work. Yeah. Well, it was on, it was on printables and no, it did not work. It was, okay. uh, yeah, it was one of those things where, yeah. it, you know, the guy talked up his G code and said, Hey, the G code oh, okay. ready and it does this, this, and this. And, um, and, and I wanted to be able to, to drop some nuts in so that it would, uh, I could easily put the screws in it. And, uh, unfortunately the, uh, uh, yeah, I just got a mess. Okay, and it was, yeah. yeah. And it's like, okay. So then I, I had a new learning curve on how to pause a print um, in the slicer and be able to put, um, you know, nuts and bolts into the, uh, into the build as it, as it's printing. So that, that was a different, of course I'm, I'm building, uh, you know, things that are modeling adjacent as opposed to directly to go onto a model. So you put physical nuts and bolts into the print. Yes, because it's it, cool. Yeah, because it, it's a well, it's it's for a, a stand, you know, to hold yeah. the model, and it was uh, uh, one of those things where it, you know, it said that oh, just use my uh, G code, and and of course the 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 part where the nuts went in um, was was kind of goofy. So it, it uh, and it's because it was made. I think it was made for a different printer, and, and as you said. It, or different firmware, but it just didn't come out right. Yeah, that's really cool that you can. Yeah, I mean, when I said you can't share G code, I was being, I was generalizing. Yeah. If, like I said, if you know what you're doing and the printers are the same, you can do it. But in general, you never do that. So, yeah. but that's really cool that you were using like hardware. I never tried that. That's a really cool idea. Yeah, it it, it it's an interesting. Uh, yeah, I hadn't 
didn't even occur to me. You know, it never dawned on me that it was an option. Um, but uh, because I was sticking magnets in certain places, but they were little holes on the outside. And and sure enough, in making the stand, in order to get the uh, the vertical stanchions to be mounted to the um, the horizontal plane, a, a screw had to go up into the stand. And uh, and of course, halfway through, roughly, you drop a nut in, and um, I'm like, oh, I can do that. So yeah, it. But my learning curve was about 24 hours, you know, searching the web and and uh, reading about it. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, I just. And then when I went to the slicer, it was like, oh, it's got this kind of horse or vertical uh, slider bar that allows me to figure yes. out where, where yep. the print head is at that moment. Yeah. And yeah. because I, and I zoomed into the, where the nut goes mm-hmm. so that it was most of my screen. And as soon as I could tell that the print head was above the hole, I said, I said, I, I was able to find the, and this took me longer than it should have. It, I think it t- took me an hour to figure out what button I pushed. It turned out to be right click, and it said "add a pause" was my yeah. choice. And it's like, oh mm-hmm. wow, that's kind of cool. That and is cool. So now I'm trying to figure out how to do more of that, mm-hmm. um, which of course has got me going down rabbit holes. But um, that's all part of the game, right? Is and uh, when you're yeah, oh, yeah. Well, it's great that you're doing that. They- yeah, that's kind of a, you know, a lot of people don't get in, involved in, in pausing the prints. I, I always, I'm always scared of pausing it because it's not going to start properly. But, but small <laughs> well, slicers. Yeah, believe me, that was, that was my fear, but it worked. You know, that, that feature of being able to look at the print and the slices is a feature of almost, like every slicer. Like you can always right. do that in, in all slicers. But then you asked about pre-supported. What I was talking about there is the STL is the 3D model itself. It's what the creator made. It's the, you know. It's the, the tank or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. supports are what, on resin printing particularly, the supports are what stabilizes the print while it, it really allows it to grow, right? And so some makers are giving pre-supported 3D models. They've already put the support tree on it. But it really applies to resin printing, not so much to, to FDM printing that yeah, you're doing. Yeah. So, so because- in Instead of letting the slicer create the supports, the designer puts the supports where they Correct. know the supports need to be. Well, that's correct. Cool. Now, it's a, it's kind of a double-edged sword, though, because a lot of creators who offer pre-supported maybe are not the best at making supports. So now what they do is they give you both the model and a pre-supported version. And if the pre-supported version doesn't work, you can always go back and do your own supports. So That's cool. I was going to say, so you can go in and so like, how do you know on a part where to put a support? Um, so in, in resin printing, all right, all right. So, so if you think about it, the way resin printing works is it's almost like a tree growing upside down. Right. And, and the build plate is what it all starts from. If you, if you look at that engine that you have, right. Or any 3d printed part, they all, they always come with a base and then it looks like these structures coming out from the base and then it holds your part. Right. So, a part can't grow from nowhere. So if anything is overhanging, it needs to be supported. I don't know if that makes sense. It's easier if I were to draw it. But basically, any overhanging part needs to have a support. And so the structure of the support not only allows the part to, to have these overhangs, it also stabilizes the print as it and holds, and holds the print steady as it's growing off the build plate. So supports are extremely important and probably one of the most important things. 
All right. So you said the, the overflow area. So is there like the, do they all come with like a central post at first and then it's like yeah. your engine, right? So it showed up like this. And then, so you had your base plate yes. at the, like yeah, yeah. the middle of it. And then you, you had to go and right. put supports to like the exhaust Correct. manifold and everything. To, no, but, but, right, but, so. but 3d models don't, don't come with any kind of supports, like not even a central support, like the creator has to make that. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So you went in, like, so you designed your, I won't get too far ahead here, but like, so when you designed your engine, you went in, you put the supports in there to. Yes, the absolutely. Yeah. Well, I did, I didn't do it okay. in the design phase. I did it in the quote support phase, which we could talk about later. Okay. Yeah. That's going to be my next question. Unless anybody no, else no, has no. something. Keep going, man. This yeah, is, you're I'm, going, you're I, doing I'm, good. I'm learning. Oh. Is this yeah, too technical? I, I, I am looking forward okay, to yeah, a design I mean, discussion, but. That's, okay, yeah, uh, we can we can get into that yeah, too. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the stuff's just fascinating because you've got mainstream model manufacturers yeah. now: yeah. Edward, Phase Hanger, um, Flying Leatherneck, uh, Hypersonic, um, all these companies now that have gone away from your traditional making a master, pouring resin to three D printing, like so, all those Edward cockpits and everything. So, what goes into if you could give us an example of like how you like from how you to, to make your engine, right. your, uh, your, um, your wildcat engine that you gave us, like how would you start yeah. that project? Yeah. yeah. Getting to yeah, so, on the printer. So you have to design the 3d model. Okay. Uh, on the computer. And there are a lot of ways to do that. Um, there are two, you know, broadly speaking, there are two schools of, of creating 3d models. Um, one is CAD and one is polygon modeling, okay? They're actually very different. But the end result, the bottom line is the end result is the same, right? So once the modeler, the creator makes that 3D model, you really shouldn't be able to tell how he did it or she did it, right? Because it's the end result that okay. the printer sees, it doesn't know. All it knows is there's an STL, that, that 3D model that's in that quote STL format. But the creation part that you're asking about so I could, I could use a CAD program or I could use a polygon uh -huh. program and they're, they're very different. The polygon program things, I'll just throw out some names of software in case you've heard of them or your listeners, uh, things like Blender, 3D Studio Max, Maya, um, so many polygon programs. Polygon programs are usually used in the entertainment industry, very widely used. CAD programs, on the other hand, Programs like Fusion 360, Solid, yeah, Fusion 360, that, yeah. which is what I use primarily, uh, SolidWorks, Rhino, Plasticity, uh, Moment of Inspiration. Those programs are more focused traditionally toward engineering. And the difference between the two is in the Polygon program, you're manipulating little faces and polygons and stretching and you're stretching and and, and distorting them to the shapes you want. And in the CAD program, you're more drawing sketches and then extruding them or rotating them into solid forms. Gotcha. I'm, I'm just giving you a very broad overview. Sure, but the bottom yeah, line is makes sense. they're both valid. Like, you know, you'll have some people say, oh, you can only use CAD to make 3D projects. And, and, and the other side will say, no, but Blender or those programs are better. Really, the end result is what counts. And so people use both. I use actually both. But I do most of my work in CAD. And, and the, the process of making these things um, 
is very similar to traditional scratch building. You take primitives like spheres, cylinders, planes, you know, pla- planes meaning like a, like a piece of styrene, a plate, right. and you're basically putting them together and shaping them and cutting them and carving them until you get your result. And so it's really the same mindset. It's just like a different tool. I know that sounds very like, you know, I know it sounds very simplistic, but really the two skills, it's, it's almost like the same process. Thought yeah. Process. That's been my experience so far is uh, with a few things. I, I've got three designs so far that I've come up with and, and my experience with those three in just eight weeks is, is that I'm scratch building. I just happen to be doing it on the screen with cylinders and spheres and, and Mm -hmm. different weird shaped football shapes and that kind of stuff. And, and making the ultimately creating the, the shape that I want um, by either extruding, extruding or um, taking things away. And then uh, I then just prototype it, shoot it to the printer, print it out and go, okay, that goes in the trash. Now let's try it again, but with a different approach. And, um, and I'm finding that that's exactly what, what I feel like I'm doing is scratch building. What what program do you, are you using? Um, strangely enough, I'm using MOI and it's only because, uh, I could never get fusion 360 to work for me, not because I could get the software to work. That was not the problem. The problem was, is I, I would sit there for hours on end trying to do simple things, Whereas with MOI, I, within an hour, I had a, I had a design oh, and cool. um, yeah. And, and I, I can't, I am unable, my brain doesn't work that way. I'm in, I, my background is engineering. I cannot get blender or any of the other polygon apps to work. They just, um, I, I'm just looking at a screen yeah. and I'm going, okay, <laughs> I, how do, how do I create a shape so I can extrude it? And the answer is you're not supposed to do that, but my right. brain is just doesn't work that way. So, so I hear you. So totally my different. my question is, um, so I'm looking at your your Wildcat engine, and I understand. So you used a computer, used CAD to to design it. So talk to how did you did you have a, um, a photographs or measurements or I assume you had something to be able to take what you're designing on the computer to the right scale. So you had to do yeah. some some Absolutely. decent math there to yeah how did how did you actually do that how do you actually great question. yeah great question and so i'm going to show you something your your listeners won't be able to see this but we could describe it <laughs> i got one uh, of those yes <laughs> this yeah. is a caliper okay yeah. you can get yeah. these on amazon for 20 bucks right i yep. happen to have one that's it's a cheap one this is the key to yes. all design work in for scale models gotcha um, that was basically, the first thing i bought <laughs> Yep. Right, you have to have one of these. This yeah, is great. Yeah. It looks like so, John John showing. I mean, I'm sure, but everybody, he, like he said, he can't see it. But it's just it's a it's an awesome digital caliper. A, yeah, yeah, it's a digital caliper. Cool. I think this is twenty dollars yeah. on Amazon. They have so many of them, right? Cool. So what I do is, um, is I first of all, let's say for the engine, right? Um, I, I I searched for pictures of the engine, um, drawings, three D drawings, a lot yep. of a lot of mechanical parts out there. You're going to have the side view, the front view, the top view, right? Yep. It turns out, this is an aside, all of these like Pratt & Whitney and Wright radial engines, it's it's actually very hard to find 3D, uh, three view drawings of them. Yeah, okay? I bet. But yeah, it, it is. It, it's, it's actually easy to find like the Merlin engine. You can find a ton of them. But for these 
for these Pratt and Windy and 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 radial engines, you can't find, but you can find plenty of photos, right? So once you figure out the um, the dimen- the basic dimensions, you measure your kit. Yeah. Okay. And you and you figure okay. An important consideration too is, let's say that let's say the um, uh, the, the 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 real uh, Pratt and Whitney R eighteen thirty engine is um, I don't know. Uh, I'll just say three thirty six inches in sure. diameter. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. That, obviously, but I'll just use that as an example. Let's say it's thirty six in- The real one is thirty six inches, right? But you'll notice on the Edward kit for the Wildcat. It's a little bit smaller than that in scale because they have to fit it into a cowl sure. that's not as thin as the real one, right? Yep. So you have to take that into account. But once you figure out how big you want it to be, in your CAD program, you can scale your drawing to that dimension and then make sure – like, for example, I would put in um, a cylinder that is a, is is approximately the um, – well, is represents the – the largest that that engine can be before it gets too big for the cowl. Got it. And then I, I design everything within that dimension. Sweet. Okay, cool. You understand? Wow. So yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So you're using your caliper to measure the kit and then you're using your drawings and, and photos are really a big, important uh, aspect of this. And it's a, it's a big part of my work is using photos because photos give you the information that is between the three views, yeah. right? The curves. And so, Interpreting the photos is one of the most important parts of, of, of doing these kind of designs. Well, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, now I know how you get, how you sort of, you know, you start off with, with a CAD, you start designing like you're like literally, I think that's a great visualization for because I'm a visual guy. It's very hard for me to, to look at a piece of paper and comprehend something. But if I can, if I can see a picture or, or, or something visual that I can, in my head, I can understand, okay, you're going from this to that, to this, to this. Then I'm like, ah, okay. Now I understand how you're doing it, but the detail, how in the world are, I don't, I just, it's just, I mean, I put it under my magnifier when I was cleaning it and I just, I was just blown away at all of the, the ignition wires and they don't look like overly thick wires. It literally looks like you took a ray gun and you shrunk down <laughs> the engine because yeah. all of the wires are there. And and I was the most shocking is how robust when I'm clipping off with my God hand clippers that I can get in because they're super tight and I'm clipping off all of the attachment uh, points for the, you know, for the for the resin. When I'm clipping them off the lines, it's robust. Like they were, I, I yeah. didn't have a knock on wood, not one single um, ignition wire broke. That's They're, cool. Yeah. It's unreal. So that, that, you know, um, that's a testament to the printer resolution and how the printer yeah, yeah. is, is capable of, of the printer I use is, is the frozen. I, I'm kind of, um, I'm not, I'm not advocating this, this line of printers, um, necessarily. I think they're good printers, but I use frozen printers and the, and the, uh, the one I particularly use for the highest resolution is the, Sonic Mini 8K. It's an 8K printer. It's been surpassed, by the way, in, in resolution now in 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 uh, September of 2023. Yeah. But up up until now, it's been the the it has a 22 micron resolution. Okay, that's 0.022 millimeters. Yeah, it can. Re- that's the that's the smallest point it can reproduce. So it it was up until 
now, up until this this you know this this year, it was the highest resolution desktop cheap printer you could buy, and that's why I chose it. And I wanted to be able to get that kind of detail. Um, you know, maybe five years ago, I could I wouldn't have been able to do that. Yeah. You know, so it's an important part of being able to 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 do that. But it's also when you design these things, you have to take into account that it has to be printable also. Sure. And if so you're not even though that looks real and it and I think it does look real, but it it's there's certain compromises made in that, oh, in sure. that design to to enable it to print. It it doesn't, you know, it, everything is not as it would be exactly in real life because certain angles might not print. And there are some things like that are in there that are supporting it that are making it possible to print. Yeah. So I don't know if I asked, answered your question about like, you know, how do you get the detail? But oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, and if you saw me do this, right, you would, it would demystify it pretty quickly because <laughs> no, seriously, because yeah, it's yeah. all, it's all it is. It's a, it's a lot of time to just put these shapes together. Yeah. But ultimately it's just shapes. That's, it's just shapes. That's like when people yeah. tell when they ask me, how did you airbrush the camo? And I'm like, right, right. it's easy. It's not even hard. I, I, <laughs> it's super simple. And they're just like, whatever, man. And then, but then, you know, it, I, that's what I think that's very similar to this when you're like, Oh, it's, it's not hard at all. You know, it's, it just takes a little bit of time. I'm like, yeah, right. I mean, and well, again, yeah. but obviously you know what you're doing because this engine is, I mean, this is something that you designed, correct? I mean, from soup correct. to nuts, this is, from, this is yours. From zero. Yeah. Yes. From zero, from, yeah. from, from the drawings, wow. from, from the drawings. And I, I didn't say this before, but um, since you're, you, you're a visual person, um, when I was talking about those drawings, right, the three view drawings, you can actually bring that into the CAD program and draw on top of it. Wow, so, that is cool. You understand? So, yeah, so it's almost like tracing. So sure, if, yeah. imagine imagine you had a view of the front of the engine, right? Yep. You can trace out um, the, you know, that like bell housing in the front yep. or the, the gear housing? Yep, yep. Well, that's a circle that I drew right on top of a photo to make sure it was exactly this. And then when I, you know, extruded out or rotated to make the, the, the three-dimensional part, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm spot on because I'm drawing it right on top of of the, the actual of the, drawing itself, the drawing yeah. or the, or the photo. I do yeah. that all the time. So it's even, I don't want to say it's easy because obviously it takes a lot of time to get to the point and the tool, you have to know the tools like, I'm but, sure. Yeah. You know, when I, when I look at a model that's been scratch built and I'm thinking, how the heck did that guy do that? Like, that's unbelievable. Like I could never imagine to do, but I bet you, if you watched him do it, I'm not saying I could do it, but yeah. it would kind of demystify how it's done. Yeah. I got you. I got you. Yeah. You know, they'd be like, Oh, that's it. That's all you're doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I bought one of those, you know, scratch building for modelers kind of books back in the eighties. And, yeah. and it was, it, it was, it was very demystifying because I, yeah, the guy had the right tools. He had, you know, tiny little punches and, and all these, you know, it, weird shapes and stuff in plastic that I didn't even know existed, but you know, in this company called Plastruct and Evergreen and whatever. So I bought all that stuff and, and yeah, it's, I, I learned very quickly that, well, yeah, if you got the right tools and you've got the right materials, you can kind of knock some stuff out. And it's amazing how quickly you can make an avionics box that um, looks like an avionics box. And mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and that's, that's, I mean, I think we've all, you know, the, the master, um, you know, sort of scratch builder that we all know, you know, Gabe Pincelli, 
he's just what he can take with styrene and and build some of these you know boxes and cockpits and accessories i mean he does a lot of stuff for um you know some of the different model companies out there because he's that good and when he shows us his stuff i'm just like I, I just don't know how he does it and he's like it's not hard he just takes a little bit of time that's all and i i there's i know <laughs> yeah. it's got to be there's more to it than that you know i i sort of tongue-in-cheek when i tell people oh yeah airbrushing's easy it's just you know, it's i mean it may be a little bit easy now but anytime i'm doing like you know using it i'm still concentrating it still of takes course effort and just like you know again i'm sure anytime you're building something as intricate and detailed as this wildcat engine it's just you know it, it it's not it's probably not it's probably not that easy um and uh but man you sure <laughs> you sure hit a home run with this thing man oh yeah. it, it, wow. it's yeah. just it's just knowing the tools and yeah. once you get to the point where you you know the software so well that you're not thinking about how do I do this? How do I, cause at first you're always thinking, oh, I don't ha I have no idea how to make that shape and it takes a while to figure it out. But once you get to the point where you're in a groove and you're doing, then, you know, you could go faster that, that, uh, you know, I'm always getting faster because I'm doing the same things over and over again. There's only so many things, only, only so many shapes in the world. Once you've done them, then those things become much quicker and then you come to the next thing. Uh, but yeah, it's all about practice and, 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 and some I bet people you have, I bet you have the the shapes that go into a cylinder are in your life. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yes. I. Uh, it's 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 also sometimes the hard part is 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 not making the shapes, but knowing what the shape is because some of those shapes in like an aircraft or a intake, you you can't you don't really see what it is. Um, it's not easy to see what the shape is because it's it's not something that can be expressed on a on a drawing. Sometimes, you know, you'll see those cutaway drawings where they'll, sh they'll show you cross sections. Sometimes you don't have that. So you have to like interpret. And that's, to me, that's where the real amazing part is, is what some people can, uh, and I'm not saying I can do that, but some people can take a, it's called like abstraction, taking a real thing and figuring out the abstraction and then putting it into a 3D model um, that is a real, that's where the real art of it comes in is knowing, cause you can't do every single thing perfectly, every single nut and bolt. It, would, it wouldn't print and it really wouldn't be attractive as a model. You have to know how to, what parts to take. And that, that's where to me that we can, uh, you know, that, that's where I want to advance more is, is, is figuring out how to extract things. Uh, all models are like that, right? They're not real. So now, how long did it take for you? I mean, can, can you do more than one at a time on your plate yeah. so that you use them? Or do you, can you, are they just like one at a time or can you do no, like no. So um, I always have a bunch of projects. Uh, the beauty of, of, of software is, you know, it doesn't take up any room. It's on my laptop. I can have whatever I, you know, I, I always have several projects going. I have a million scratch pads where I'm doing like, let's say I want to work on a project and I, I don't, I don't know how to do something. I'll open up a, a document and I'll do some like, uh, you know, almost like a mule uh, kind of like we talk about paint mules or whatever. I've got those in my software where I'll, I'll, I'll test something out. And, um, and so, yeah, I have, I have multiple projects going on. I'll give you an example though, like that engine, the first time I did that, that took months and probably 300 hours to, to do that. Now, the second one I did, um, 
I cut that time down by about, uh, the second one took about 20% of the first one to do. So I went from months to weeks. Um, so things definitely get faster, but to answer your question, you know, you're, you're looking at something of that complexity. You're, you're looking at tens of hours or dozens of hours. Same as, same as like model building, right? I mean, how many hours do you put into, you know, a, a kit that you make a hundred hours or whatever, right? Yeah. So, so it's the same thing yeah. with this. You can go, um, I haven't done any, um, any really, you know, full aircraft yet. I, I, I aspire to do that someday. And I expect that that's going to take, you know, uh, hundreds of hours again to, to do that. Oh, wow. So from the time that you get your design, you got finalized, like how many, um, test copies yeah. do you do? Do you get to like, you know, a certain spot and it's like, well, like the diameter, yeah. right? So you think you have it. So you go ahead and you print the diameter to see if it fits inside the cow. Yes, absolutely. So there, what or... I do is when I'm doing the design, um, I actually start printing right from the beginning. Like, so if you're making a part to fit your model, um, I'll make very, very quickly within the first few days, I'll make like a very, um, uh, how should we say, like a very crude mock-up of it, which just designed to test okay. fit because if it doesn't fit initially and I go down that road too far and I add lots of details and rivets mm-hmm. and panel lines, yeah, I'm screwed if it doesn't fit later. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of waste you know of time, I mean? man. It's a waste of time because it's not easy to – I know – in CAD, it's not easy to just stretch and and re- resize something. In in polygon modeling, it uh, actually is very easy to do that. Yeah. But in CAD, you can't. Not easily anyway. So um, so I tend to do a lot of fitting along the way. Like um, I, I could make dozens of prints along the way. So how long does it how long did, does it take for one of those to print like that Wildcat engine? Like how long would that take from the time yeah, you yeah. print? To so at the going? final detail level, um, which when you, when you, when you, when you make a print on your printer, on your resin printer and Tim, I think it's, it's the same thing with FDM too, right? You get to choose your, your layer height, yes. how, how coarse or how fine you want it. But when you're doing a final print, obviously you want a really high quality, right? So, you're going to put it on the highest or near the highest quality. So in the case of that engine, maybe about four hours, right? But um, huh. when I'm prototyping, you know, when I'm prototyping and I'm trying to just get a test fit, I'm going to run it on the coarser setting, and that may take an hour and a half. Wow. I would have, man, I would have thought, you know, just because of the detail and how intricate everything is, that it would it would take a little, a lot longer than that. You know, that's, well, that's crazy to hear that. Um, it would it, because you know. it's small, right? Yeah, it's small. It's true. It, it's, it's, it all yeah. it all depends on the height. It all depends on the height of the part. If the part is relatively, you know, uh, an inch high or whatever, um, that's going to determine the the time it takes. People that are printing, let's say, a wing, which is uh, you know, yeah. ten inches high, yeah, that's going to take that's going to take twelve hours to twenty hours. Gotcha. So it's not unheard of for prints to take. 20 40 hours that's crazy but yeah yeah but 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 that's what it takes wow so so it would start like your at your base or wherever your tree is your support and it would just build it out from there and like each line would be a correct a layer or layer and And the higher it is the higher it is in your printer the longer it's going to take because every layer 
I was just gonna say, and and how many from 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 the start of the first the first uh, test block that you pushed out, you know, the first test uh, piece yeah. to where you're like, yep, it's complete. How many how many iterations was that? How many? Uh, dozens of prints. Just dozens. yeah, more dozens. more than like, more than uh, you can count. Got it. Like thirty fifty. Holy jeez. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> and as you get closer and closer, because it's when you're done with the design, now you have to support it. And that's yeah. a whole thing right there. So the supports, you have to like every support, that particular model is very complex in, in that it has to support wires, literally, yeah. right? Wires. Yeah. And 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 so that took a long time to support. Um other things are much easier to support. So it might not, so it might not be so many iterations. And of course, in all of this, when you have a failure, if if you get a clean print, you're good. You can go to the next print. If you get a failure, you have to basically clean the whole printer out. Uh, okay. And it's kind of a pain. So it's to me, it's very painful to get a failed print because the failed print requires you to do a lot more work. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. That's, um, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm, I'm, I would just kind of assume, oh, once you got the design, it's finalized, you print, you print your final copy and you're happy, you're like, good to go. Then you just, Print a whole bunch of them. I never, well, I didn't, you know, I just, yeah. One, the, the, the way it should be, if, if everything is working well in your, in your little printer environment, once you do get that final dialed in print yeah. and your support good, you should be able to print a million of those without any problem. And All if right. you do have a problem, but I'm talking about once it's supported and everything's dialed in, yeah. um, your, your printer should be able to just keep cranking those out Got it. for a long time. If you have problems after that point, then something has gone wrong with the printer, like some some part broke or something. Uh, okay. But but okay. but printing should be like people that have lots of printing problems all the time. Yeah, shouldn't be the way this works. I, I don't want to give the impression that <laughs> I don't want to give the impression that this is a a thing where it's constantly a challenge. The uh, printer should should be pretty bulletproof once you uh, established a good printing setup. And if it's not, take a look at what you're doing and figure out why you're not getting repeatable results. So I assume uh, is your engine, your Wildcat engine now repeatable? Like you've got everything. That solid. particular thing. Yeah. That, that particular part is, but good. you know, I'm working on other things that are, are yeah. in the process of, of being you know, still being finalized. Well, 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 sorry, you just opened up a can of worms there. So what else are you working on? Can you tell <laughs> well, us, I'm working, give us yeah, some yeah, little, sure. little, little, little snippets. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm on this engine um, on this engine kick. So I, I just finished the uh, R1820 for the for the FM2. Cool. And I'm working on um, R2800 uh, double wasp for you know like the Corsair and the Hellcat, uh, you know, the big the big wasp. Um, and I've got a bunch more engine projects planned. Um, I also do a lot of little things like I just made some uh, Luftwaffe pedals. Okay. Um, you know, when I'm when I'm working on a model, I like to always throw in like a little enhancement that I want to. Sure. You know, and also some of these things save time. Um, so yeah, so I have I'm going to be working on engines, I think, for a while. Cool. Yeah, I, I I I again when I saw the not only just saw the resin printed part, um, it was a whole nother level when you're like, hey, come check it out here. It's on my model, and then I was like, because it just it, I. I I told the guys, I was like, I had the, the wildcat was just, I put it in my cell stash. I was like, man, I'm just going to get rid of it. And when <laughs> yeah, you yeah. gave me the engine, 
and I cleaned it up and put a resin coat on, you know, just sprayed it with Mr. Surfacer. And, uh, it just, it's just, I yeah. was like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta build it. I'm gonna have to it build pops it. When you, yeah. when you prime it, right? Yeah, it really it's, just, uh, it's just, it's just, it's just, I mean, it was enough that I was like, I was going to get rid of the model. I'm like, I'm not going to build it. But just because of the engine that you print, that you gave me, I'm like, no, I got to build it. I got to build it and display the engine. Cause it's just, I've never, I've quite frankly, I've never seen anything like this before. It's so good. So really, really you haven't, you, but don't I'm you not, see like the, uh, the resin parts that are available from like, how much, man, I only put like a resin ejection seat in my models and that's it. I don't really? ever put this. I'm just all out of the box type, maybe some seatbelts and that's it. And so to me, this is just, I mean, my goodness, because like, I don't, I don't, I hate PE. I don't want to mess with drilling out um, ignition holes and putting wire um, or putting PE. I don't want to do that. I want a nice resin piece that's already done. And I got to yeah. clip a couple of, you know, um, um, supports and then clean it up, boom, she's done. That's what I want. So what you're doing is what me personally, I, I hate PE. I cannot stand it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And this is what I'm looking. I'm like, yeah, this is well, it. I think I think <laughs> I think a lot of people are are talking about this and 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 3D printing is obviously taking the place of PE in many cases. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. <laughs> thank the Lord. You know, Hallelujah. I bet a while back, Whitey was working on a, uh, a Sturman or something, and he needed a particular engine, and I bet he would have loved <laughs> to be able to have this technology yeah. then. That's, where, you know, yeah, you that's do the that one engine. I would recommend you doing. Yeah. I had the, the Ravel Sturman. I want to do the Navy version, the earlier Dash 2, and uh, it has a Lycoming engine with the yep. exhaust manifold on the front of the engine. Yep. And there are 72-scale ones out there that are really nice. But nobody was doing a forty-eight scale one. I kind of half-ass scratch-built one here. Um, yeah, you know, no, using, I have I using the kit engine, you know, or the nine-cylinder engine that I, I forget where I got it, and yeah, I had to make the manifold myself. Uh, it it passes muster, but it would have been really nice to have a nice engine uh, to display up there. But yeah, no, I, I have I, I have the um, is it. I think I have the Roden 132nd Stearman. Okay, yeah. This one was the 48 scale one, but yeah, there's the, I think okay. the Roden one comes with uh the option for the different engines maybe. Uh, I I don't know, but the engine in that I have it painted and the engine is terrible in that kit. It's actually oh, yeah. very yeah, it's a really bad engine. So I will definitely be doing that one. And one of the beauties of 3D printing is unlike resin traditional resin casting, we can talk a little bit about the differences. Why, what's really different about res, you know, print, 3D printing resin versus cast resin. But one of the thing, beauties of, of 3D printing is you can write in the slicer, not even at the design phase. If you design your part in, in a way that allows it to uh, scale, for example, I designed that engine in 48th scale um, in real, in real, some people design things in like the full, you know, one-to-one scale, and then they shrink it down for printing. But I designed that in 48th scale because I wanted to put the details in such a way that I could make it 32nd or, or 72nd. Um, that's the beauty of it. You design once and then you can print it in different scales. If you, if you've taken these things into account, 
that's beautiful because now you don't have to have, uh, you know, three different masters. It, literally, you would have to build three different masters to do three different scales. That's that's you know that's not really feasible. So I guess that's like one of the benefits of three D printing compared to your traditional re- pouring resin and pressure pots. And remember the horror story photographs of Mike Reed, and <laughs> right? Right, right. Yeah, it was just crazy, man. I was like, whoa, that looks like something out of Breaking Bad or something, man, with all the chemicals and this, just all the rubber molds and stuff. You know, it was crazy. So I, I have a little bit of experience with resin uh, casting, just like we all do, you know, doing making a part here and there. It's a messy, obviously, it's very messy. It's expensive. You have to buy silicone and resin and you have to have the pots and things. I, I never actually got into the vacuuming part of it, but. I know if you want to do it professionally, you have to like have vacuum pots and all that stuff, right? Pressure pots to get the bubbles out. But resin printing isn't exactly, you know, something you do on your dining room table either, right? It's got, you're, you're dealing with resin. You you have the same potential to spill it all over the place. You have uh, the fact that it cannot be exposed to sunlight um, because otherwise it'll harden. Like think about it, right? If you're the liquid resin, if it gets exposed to sunlight for too long, it's hardens right on you. So you got to do this in a certain environment. It's smelly. So you can't do it in your bedroom. You have to have a, you know, uh, newer printers have uh, ways of mitigating that. But so it's, it's not just that it's easier. I guess it is like from the point of view of these resin producers and they, they like the idea of switching to 3d printing. Maybe it is not as much labor, but the, the fact that you can make one master and scale it to different things has to be a huge part of it. Has to be. Yeah, I was just thinking, having one of these in your bedroom, you know, sorry, honey, hold on. I gotta get <laughs> yeah, that's not good. <laughs> that, that's something we haven't even talked about, but resin printers do need, you know, they have a smell. The, the, yeah. the, the UV resin is a little smelly. You really should do it in a garage or a basement or somewhere. It's its not the worst thing in the world. It's probably not much worse. It's probably similar to spraying lacquer paint, but you're not going to do that in your living space, you know? Correct. But, um, you know, that, that that's, that's – and also the master uh, for resin 3D printing is in your computer, right? Sure. Whereas the master in traditional re, uh, resin casting has to be constantly re- Molds have to be constantly made because molds have a certain life. So each time you make the mold, you risk damaging the master, right? And every time you cast the the, the part that comes out could damage the mold or, you know, the 3D printing well, is always exactly the same. What about, so I know with res, some, some of, one of the big sort of, um, well, I don't know. It just seems like one of the drawbacks of standard like resin casting is shrinkage, where a lot of times there's just, especially with, with exhausts, where the diameter is just not quite there on a part. How about, so I guess with the 3D resin printing, do you not have to worry about shrinkage at all? Um, I mean, we all yeah. hate shrinkage, but um, <laughs> just when we're talking about with the rest, sorry, but um, um, no, I just, it, I'm just wondering like if they start moving to be able to do exhausts and things that require a certain opening, whether it's the diameter of a, of a strut on a wheel or the, an exhaust, like, do you have to worry about shrinkage yeah. too much? You, you do have to worry about that. Um, every resin has a shrinkage kind of factor. Uh, 
linear shrinkage. It's not exactly easy to know, like, I guess, I guess it might be possible to calculate how much oversized you should design the part. Uh, but more likely you're going to design it, the mock-up stage, print it, and then check fit it, and then adjust it slightly to make sure it prints perfectly. Um, that could take, a, you know, like I explained before, that process takes a while to get that. And you don't want to do it at the end when it's already too late to go back and change big dimensions. So there is a shrinkage factor. There is a warpage factor too. All these things have to be taken into account the way you orient the part on the printer and support it. Because if you don't do a good job there, the part can warp when you're printing it. And then, frankly, when you go to cure it, we didn't talk about that, but the, after the part comes off the printer, it has to be further what they call post-cured under UV lights. And most resin printers now, uh, or people who, who do resin printing, will have um, a, a wash station where they can wash the print to get the extra resin off of it, and then a curing station where they can do the post-cure. And at that point, the thing can warp. So these are all factors, and they're wow. they're probably the, 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 those are probably the biggest factors that these resin producers have to deal with. I, you know, just just hearing you talk about um, all, there are a ton of elements that because again, before I, you're, this is the first time I've ever really sat down with somebody who has some knowledge on resin printing, and this really? is not a simple process. Uh, I mean, my no, I goodness, just to me, just the design alone is could take who knows how long to perfect that and then work then just working with the printer learning how to use the printer to do what you want it to print and then the materials so yeah but but i think that it's when again i go back go back to your wildcat um engine it's all worth it like because you know i to see the the detail and the result it seems like just with anything you know with all that hard work there is a a fantastic result in the, in the end. So it's. Yeah. I mean, I, I I think we can all agree that this is a part of our hobby that's here to stay. Right. Um, And, and it's really two different things. Like I don't, you know, the design part of it is a totally separate hobby kind of, and, and the printing part, like there's a lot of, um, I was talking to Phil about this and I'm going to send you some links, but there's sites out there where you can download uh, for free and also to pay for, these 3D models that you can print on your own printer. So you don't have to design parts in order to take advantage of this hobby. You can just be a printer. And a lot of people do that. Um, So, you know, I don't want to, they don't go hand in hand. They are actually two separate things. The design and the, and the, uh, and and you can actually even just be designed. Like you could just do the designs and then put them up on websites for people to download. If you wanted to, you don't even have to print. Yeah. I I guess just like with anything, like, you know, for me in model building, I have certain certain aspects of model building that I'm. I feel like I'm very I'm very comfortable. I know exactly what I'm doing, um, like using the airbrush. And then there's other things that I struggle with, even after 45 years and going to lots of shows and all this kind of stuff. And right now, I'm struggling with. I'm like using gloss coats <laughs> on models because yeah. I'm not used to using gloss coats. But I've had some gotchas, and it, I, I assume that it's just like with anything. You have specific aspects of 3D printing where you're like, oh, man, I, 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 somebody can be 
incredible at the designing portion. And then you have the next guy who's like, but he's really the expert on how to print it and how to work with the resin. I, you know, it just seems like, again, to be able to put all of that, you know, all of the skills into, into one brain and one person that knows how to do all that. It's, it's, it seems like it's rare. It's not like I would be willing to bet not everybody can do this. It's not as easy as it sounds. Um, unless maybe you, you know, if you, you, you buy this, uh, a fancy printer that will print stuff for you and you have, a uh, a verified and certified type of file that, that will absolutely, it's, it's proven, you know, and then it can print for you then, you know, and I'm sure that's where we're going to end up going is where just like with anything you can, you'll be able to buy a printer and you'll buy the file and you'll hit print and it'll print it out for you. You know, who knows how long that'll take, but I think that we'll get there. I mean, I I totally agree. I don't think that right now we're at that point, obviously. I mean, it's still, it's still a big learning curve to, to print, but I think we're, we're going to be at the point where it's going to be like that, like a toaster. You just go to the store, you buy a toaster, you download files. And I even see a few, I don't want to, you know, get into the future too much, but I do see a future where, you know, Amazon is replaced by printing household items that that could be like hundreds of years in the future. Right. But you could actually envision that, right. Where you could print things that you would normally buy. You could just print them at home, but that's that we're not at that point yet. But for modeling, I think, you know, I see more and more people. I do see a lot of people buying printers and not using them. Have you seen that? Yeah. I, I think people get frustrated and the first thing they want to do is like, Oh, I don't have time for this. Yes. And it just sits. And then they don't go back to it and it just sits there. And then after six, eight months, a year, I'm going to go ahead and sell this. It's just sitting yeah. here collecting dust. And then you find Hashtag the first, right. first airbrush anyone ever bought. You know, it's yeah. just, you know, they're, they're complex <laughs> yeah. pieces of gear. And if you know how to use them, then they, they're incredible. If you don't, it, it's just going to collect dust, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, that was my first, um, uh, I don't want to say a challenge. It really wasn't a challenge, but I, I challenged myself. It's like, okay, I'm going to make this thing work. And uh, I was I was actually pleasantly surprised that uh, the the model I got uh, when it showed up, it was you know advertised as ready to go. I plugged it in, printed the scraper to make it you know be able to scrape stuff off the uh, off the bed, and uh, and it it worked first time. And I have not had a hitch since then. Uh, the only time I've had issues is when the design doesn't is a poor design. So you, you've, you, you've got your printer dialed in then you've got it working pretty well for you. Uh, it, it feels like it is. I, I would, uh, I just recently bought different nozzles for it so that I can, uh, try and change the resolution from, uh, just the standard, uh, middle of the road resolution, a 0.4 nozzle that came with it, um, out of the factory. So I'm, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm, I think I'm ready to switch nozzles and now start messing around with, um, layer height and right. speed and temperature. And there's about, uh, there's about a dozen different, um, parameters that can be adjusted just to see how it, and I've got a couple of small prints that, um, they take about 20 minutes, um, uh, sometimes less with, with the needle, um, the needle, the nozzle that I've got. And, um, uh, um, it's uh, I want to start adjusting it and seeing what happens. And I did that with my first uh, design where I was taking my little uh, uh, 
I forget what it is, but anyway, it's a, an engineering pencil, and I was literally writing on each one uh, because it, it's just uh, coarse enough where I could write on it. I was writing out what version it was, and um, and I, of course, on a piece of paper I had, here was all the things I did different for that. And um, and I've got that particular part from a design perspective. I think I've got it dialed in, um, and now I'm ready to, okay, now let's see how the many different ways I can print this thing and figure out how I can get the best resolution out of it. Because in theory, the printer goes to a 0.07 layer height and uh, a 0.25 um, nozzle. So I that uh, in, in theory, I can get pretty high resolution with it. And I'm curious yeah. to see how well an FDM will actually do. Yeah, they, they, they're getting a lot better, and, and, and FDM especially has gotten much more reliable lately. So the Prusa printer, you have the Prusa 3? Uh, Prusa 4. Oh, the 4. Okay, yeah. So that's a really good printer, yeah. So you should be able to have some good success with that. You know, last night when uh, John and I were doing a, a dry run through this, I was thinking, I was like, man, you know, like on two-seat aircraft, you know, a lot of times you get to you go get to resin ejection seats, the seat belts are the same. Which, yeah, when the plane captain or crew chief, when they go in and they do their daily or they do their inspections, they'll put the belts and everything the same. But a lot of times the belts are different between a front cockpit and a back cockpit. You could go in and design you an ejection seat and then have the belts different ways and then print them off just so you have that extra level of a detail in your, in your model. You'll have a seat with different lap belt configurations, for lack of a better word. Absolutely. But and just you wouldn't you wouldn't have to buy any more seats ever. You could just sit there like, oh, I yeah. need a seat for a P fifty one Mustang, and you just print it Absolutely. out. And yeah, well, because I mean that's the biggest thing. Like I know a lot of times that's all I'll replace in a kit. Is like Scott said earlier, you know, I just throw a resin seat in there, and now I'm like, oh, I want a particular seat. You can just don't have to. Oh, it's out of stock or whatever. You can just go and print. Yeah, one to me, that's that's the biggest. I mean, that's all I really nowadays. I I I don't want to fiddle with you know, landing gear, wells, and, you know, a avionics Wheels. compartments. And Man, I don't want to mess with any of that stuff. I just put me, give me a seat, whether it's a prop or a jet, doesn't matter, and some wheels, and mm -hmm. that's it. Maybe a nozzle, like some of the, if it's more, one of the intricate uh, um, exhaust nozzles, but, you know, for the, for the most part, it's, you know, in some of the seats, the, the, the seat belts are, um, they're just not as pronounced as I'd like. Cause it's so much easier to paint those belts when the belts are a little bit more pronounced on that. There's some old Verlinden, um, phantom seats that are my favorite and they're hard to find because the, the, but the resin, when you put a nice, you know, just put a primer coat and then dry brush it a little bit, everything just pops out, just absolutely just yeah. pops out at you. And, you know, I, I wish so you should, yeah, I, Maybe you should try some ejection seats as well. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention it, it, that. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shout out some friends of mine that are. I, I have a, um, I'm a member of a, uh, a a Facebook group that Will Patterson created for a bunch of guys to discuss their 3D designs. And among the guys in there, are some names you've heard of: Fanch Lubin, Ben Schumacher, Tom Anish. Um, Robbie Knopfs, who is the uh, model guy, uh, Mike Basquette, Mac McDougall. Um, and we discuss our projects and the stuff that some of these guys is doing. Alex Clark is one of them, the miniature. He does all the miniature stuff in 172nd. 
some of the stuff these guys are doing is incredible. They are doing stuff like that. They're, they're, they're doing ejection seats and they're combining um, CAD with, with the polygon modeling to do the more like the belts and the um, wires and fabric textures. It's incredible stuff. I mean, um, so yeah, people are working on this stuff and, and you're going to see it. You're going to see it coming out. That's awesome. I, I did just pee the tea on some seats. Like I think it was on, I think it was on Spur Brothers. I can't even remember what model company it was. It might, might've been, ugh, I want to say deaf model, but I looked at their seats and I was just like, <gasps> and so I just, I'm always buying resin seats to see what they're going to look like. Cause they never, I'm sorry. They never look like how they look in the picture. So you get them home, throw some primer on it, see how it looks. So I, yeah, I just yeah. snagged like, I mean, I bought like five of these different seats just to see how they're going to look, you know, throw some primer. on. <laughs> but uh, wow, that's, yeah. that's cool. That's it's good to hear. Stuff. There's some, there's some really cool stuff. So cool. let me uh, pose a question to you guys. Um, two things I want to know from you is, is resin printing uh, or, or, or resin design and printing, is it cheating in scale modeling? And, <laughs> And the second question is, are you guys going to get involved in this in some way? That's funny. I'll, no I'll, and yes. I would just say it, this whole like, like I love that somehow it's gotten out that um, Quinta is cheating on models because, yeah. uh, you know, we started yelling. We started on like podcast number four. I was like, you know, we were all talking about how it's cheating and it's so not cheating. It's just so funny to hear. People are like, well, I don't know. Some of those the model geeks think that it's cheating. I'm like, that is so funny. It's it's not cheating. I mean, even though even I don't though, think I've ever heard you say that. Oh yeah, yeah. It's totally cheating. Uh, it's not. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. It's not cheating at all. It's just like you know, you just use the tools that you have available. You know, it's all it's all good. Yeah. 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 It's no different than using a cast resin seat than a 3D or, printed or resin. adding You're tape seat belts. Thing. You know, add a Tamiya tape or you know, using milliput to make it's just it's just tongue in cheek and all in fun. But I, yeah, I sure. mean, anything anything that you want to add to your model is is great. I mean, whether it's PE resin, you know, Quinta, you know, cheating. But uh, I'm just teasing. But <laughs> again, it's just well, uh, yeah, it's all good. I mean, it's 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 not on the horizon that I see right now. But I think we all agree that someday these things, these types of things, are going to be color. Right. Um, we already have oh, the yeah. Quinta stuff, which is flat. But imagine if you could do a, um, a, a an ejection seat, but it's full color with all the effects on it, like the, the shading. Would that be cheating then? Okay. So that, <laughs> that that's getting closer to cheating. But even then, I mean, what's the difference between that and a pre-printed instrument panel or instrument right. console? You know, I mean, it's kind of yeah, like, yeah. hey, you're just using pieces and parts to – um, the only time I think like, no kidding, like uh, all sincerity, the only time I think it's cheating is when you don't do your own work. So if you build a model and you didn't build it, say you bought it from a person and then you, oh, of course, you claim yeah, it as your yeah. own, like that of to course. me is the that's, only, that's, that's, that's a different level. Yeah. It's a whole different <laughs> level, but, but honestly, like no kidding. I, I hope I can put this one to bed. That's the only time it would be cheating. I mean, if you want to, I think, I, I mean, if they had fully color printed uh, resin seats that looked like perfect, awesome, oh man, I'd buy the shit out of them. I would buy as many as I could and I'd throw them in every model I have because it helps with the time. And that's what I'm finding 
as I'm getting sure. older is I have less time to build. So if I can take something like your engine that's already done, I don't have to wire it. I don't have to use PE. Right. I don't have to drill holes. All I got to do is cut it off the the the, yeah. the supports, paint it, and I'm done. I, I would be happy to have uh, well, because you because you like the you like the the painting exactly. And I want to get that's to, what you like. I want to get to so, painting as quick as I can. Absolutely right. But if you're if you're a kind of guy who loves the cockpit, you're not going to buy those things. Probably not. Yeah, yeah. So it's your yeah, choice. Yeah, absolutely. I, and that's that's what's cool about the hobby. I mean, really, you can. I mean, and, until. And I don't think that they'll. Well, they do have pre-printed models. They're called Franklin Mint diecast toys that you can buy. Right, right. You know, some people love those things, and I had them when I was a kid. I had little corgi toys and all that. But now I, mean, I like to. They don't make any forty. Well, I, they do make forty-eight scale. They even make some thirty-second scale stuff. So I think yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. to each his own. Whatever you like to do. I mean, some guys like I knew uh, or heard of a guy. That and why do you, I think you might have told me about this gentleman? He was an aircraft model builder. I think it was in Pensacola, and he quit building models. And all he did was buy like those airliner or or uh, plastic like little corgi uh, pre built pre made um, toys. And that, he gave yeah. the, gave off the sold off the rest of his stash and like nope, I'm just going to build all the pre made stuff. And, that was it. Yeah, he, he was a fantastic airliner builder. And then once those, I'm not sure of the brand name he was buying, but they're really nice. They're intricate and they're well detailed and the paint jobs are perfect. And he just, he built to collect airliners. He had a shelves full of them, cases full of them. And then once those came along, though, he, he was like, eh, I'm not building models anymore. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I can't, I can't wrap my head around that because sitting here yeah. and working on a model is what is enjoyable to me. Uh, once right. it's on the shelf, it looks pretty and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I can appreciate it. Um, but it's the, I think for most of us, it's just sitting here and, and, yeah. and the, the solitude of building. Yeah. Um, and to, to that end, to, back to your, your question, uh, no, I don't think it's cheating, um, nor do I plan on getting into this um, aspect of the hobby because I, it seems to me it's a whole nother hobby, to be quite honest, yeah, definitely. right? Now, definitely you got to be careful to not let it be a hobby. Yeah. Now, do you find it is rewarding as building? models to you know, be doing this i mean because in a sense you're still building a model you're if you're yeah. designing this thing and that's a great and, question you know, that's but uh, i mean but uh, yeah so uh, like how would you rate that uh i don't rate it but i mean what what's your take on that is it is a rewarding yeah. process i guess i uh, the way i look at it is i do the 3d stuff to build models i don't do it like a lot of people do 3D modeling and that's all they do. Like they do beautiful artwork and stuff like that. And, but they're all in the computer. They're, they're everything they create is in the computer. You know, uh, the whole visual effects industry is, is that right. They're building these 3D models for, for, for entertainment purposes. I do this to build models. I never want to stop building physical models. So for me, I'm kind of at a conflict because I like both of them almost equally. I can't do both at the same time though. So I have to split my time between the two, which is kind of painful sometimes. Like I'll go on these weeks of not doing any scale modeling and then I'll return to it. So I like them personally, both the same, which I think keeps me going on this stuff. But if you're not like, I don't recommend this for, especially the design part. I don't recommend this for anyone who wouldn't be passionate about it. Like if you just kind of want to dabble in that, 
I wouldn't bother. I would say just buy the stuff and print it yourself or buy it already printed. But you can, again, do 3D printing without the design part, but it's still another hobby. So yeah. yes, I, I, to answer your question, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about both. Yes, I, I, uh, I credit Mike Basquette with um, getting me into this, into 3D printing. And, oh, and really? Yeah, it, it, he and I didn't have the conversation directly, but on, on one of their pet podcasts, he mentioned, and this was early on when he had just, I think he had just gotten his printer and, or just upgraded or something. And he said, uh, he said he was learning the process and he had to be careful that 3D printing didn't become his hobby. And, yeah. and when he said that, that made me realize, okay, maybe I can do this 3D printing stuff as a, as, and make it part of my modeling hobby and it not be in and of itself uh, the reason for being uh, in terms of a hobby. And, and so far I'm, I'm doing that. Yeah. I, I spent a lot of time on the printing process, but frankly, it's, uh, I, I very quickly got into the, you know, press the button and uh, let it print while I'm modeling on an aircraft as yeah. opposed to actually working on something. And um, yeah, it, it, in my case, to answer your question, it was, uh, you know, no, I don't think it's cheating. And, and yes, I do plan to get into it, but it's going to be to make the models I want to make. Um, I've got some, some detail conversions that uh, uh, I want to be able to create. And so I'm, I'm learning CAD in order to be able to create those things, uh, you know, in a, in a crawl, walk, run kind of uh, process where I can use my printer to, to uh, prototype it and see how things work. And so far I'm, I'm, I'm having a, a great time. I'm making, literally making the little, models that I want that are, uh, replacement parts for, uh, the kit. And it's, it, it's achieving what I wanted to achieve so far. And, and ultimately when I think it's, uh, the STL is, is mature enough, I'm going to make it available to other folks and just, uh, I've yeah. already, my first design, I already uploaded to uh, Facebook and, uh, I mean, folks, if folks want it, they can get it. And, uh, it's for that particular group, but, um, you know, they got to be, it's, it's, it's a limited audience in that particular case, but, um, you know, guys initially wanted to buy them from me. It's like, no, I'm not doing this to make money. I'm sure. doing this because I want to model and, um, and, and ultimately just give me credit, but, uh, but don't pay me or buy me a beer when you see me. One of the two. Yeah. It sounds like you're doing it right. It sounds like you're, you, yeah, you got so the I, I'm having fun. And at the that's end of the great. day, that's, that's the, that's the objective, at least for me. Cool. No, I don't think it's cheating because it's no different than using resin aftermarket stuff anyway that people put in models. So it's just, I mean, it's doing the same purpose. It's just the way you get there is different. And uh, no, I don't plan on getting into it because, like, what he says, it's like a whole other hobby. And then I would find myself messing with that more. Just it would probably take me a while to even be able to print like a fork or something. <laughs> right. And like if I had to print one or I'd starve, I'd probably starve because <laughs> I would probably mess it up trying to do it, you know? And, and so I was on your webpage or not your webpage, yeah. your Facebook page. And so that 48 scale Martin Marietta X24B, yeah. now, did you 3D print that entire That is hundred percent. That, that model was designed by Will Pattison for a company called uh, Planet 
Planet Models or something? No, what was it? I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the name of them. Anyway, he designed that for a company that is producing that model. And wow. I, yeah, and I 3D printed it as a sort of as a prototype. He, he sent me the files. He said, print this and, and build it and see what you think. And I, that's what I did. But, but he designed it. I did not design it. But it shows you how you can share, you know, he did the designs. He sent me the STLs and I print, I supported it and printed it on my printer. That's how you can share these things. You know, you can literally beam someone a model and have them printed on their printer. So, uh, yeah, that's that, that sounds. I think that's sounds like the future. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, you did an amazing yeah. job. Well, again, really he, he did a beautiful job in the design of it, and it was just a matter of printing it and then painting it up. But thank you. Yeah, it's amazing looking. All right, fellas. I guess it's about that time. We're going to go ahead and uh, wrap it up here. You guys got any parting thoughts or anything for for John? I just I just want to say um, thank you again for always having such great conversation with us, for being such a great supporter of us, and for your time and efforts. Not only just you know um, putting stuff like this engine together, but, um, being so generous, um, to just, you know, give each one of us one of these engines. And, uh, again, your, the friendship and, um, your support is always appreciated and it's been a pleasure talking to you, seeing you and, um, can't look or can't wait to see it until the the next show. Be great. Great. Uh, yeah, I feel the same way. Thanks a lot uh, for having me on. It was a real, pleasure and honor to to be here and uh yeah i'll see you guys um i'm going to be at pencon and at your PaxCon too so I'll, I'll run into you there and um if anyone has any questions about 3d printing or um 3d design um feel free to to message me on facebook um either at matters of scale or my name john colasante The Models from Ukraine podcast brings you all the latest news and views from the model manufacturers of Ukraine and the modelers that support them. With interviews including Mini Arts, ICM, Armory Models, ResKit, Dora Wings, Ace Model and many more, you can find out what some of the best model companies in the world are doing and how you can help them and Ukraine. Check out the Models from Ukraine podcast on your podcast app of choice or at modelsfromukraine.buzzsprout.com. Hey, thanks, John, for taking the time to sit down with us and kind of, you know, shed some light for us on the world of 3D printing. Because aside from watching a few YouTube videos and hearing El Presidente talk about what he does, I really didn't know anything about 3D printing. But you can see it is just taking over the hobby now. A lot of more, more and more manufacturers are moving away from your traditional cast resin aftermarket stuff and going to 3d printing to do their detail sets and other stuff so new technology kind of relates to uh when we were growing up we went from cassette tapes to compact disc players remember that transition oh yeah i still remember the first time i heard uh, like a you know the guy i don't know we were at like jc pennies or something and the the stereo you know the guy had like the stereo like really cranked up and i thought it was, was like real music and so I walked over there and I'm just, what's that? Is that a band? You know, I'm just a little kid. And the guy's like, no, it's a compact disc. I was like, what? what's and then that? he showed it to me. And I'm like, wow. Like, it just looked the cool. Future. Too. Then, 
Yeah, it was just yeah. It's I mean, they still sound amazing. Yeah, the old, Problem is, if you go, yeah. yeah, the old fart over here will tell you though that a track still sounds better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little bit before my time there. All right, you know what they say, geeks, when the boss is away. So sit back, relax, and listen to Frildo have a hard time trying to close out the show. All right, before we wrap a bow on this and send this thing to print, I want to take this time to thank our many listeners out there that take the time to download us and listen to us and support us in any way that you can, and our amazing sponsors, Furball, Aero Design, Detail and Scale, Tammy USA and Sprue Brothers. All right, folks. Episode 65 is in the books. A big thank you goes out to all of our listeners and supporters. We hope you all enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed sitting here discussing our hobby and what we want. Oh, it's right there. It says it. Pause. It says it two times. Don't read it. Just like reading it's what yeah, you have. You know, yeah, just, that's when you sound wooden. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it sounds a little robotish. You know. You know, blah blah. blah just you know. But then again, if it's gonna f- you up to try to like be thinking on the fly, then read Most, it. My visual cues. All right, episode sixty-five is in the books, and we'd like to give a big thanks to all our supporters and our listeners. And our sponsors. We hope you all enjoyed and listening. All right. I'm getting tongue tied here. Dude, I remember. Yeah. You remember yeah, like that's the first and that's what's couple. going through my mind right now. Yeah, it's fucking me up too, you know? <laughs> Three years since I've done this. <laughs> all right, folks. Episode 65 is in the books. A big thanks to all our listeners and supporters. We hope you guys have. Guys, you're generalizing. <laughs> See? I'm, I'm it's going okay, through, man. Yeah, it's going through it's my mind right. from last time. All right. It's all right. Deep Just breath, say this. Deep breath. Episode Bye. in the books. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> all right, folks. Episode 65 is in the books. I'd like to give a big thanks to all of our listeners and supporters. I'd like to thank you for making us a valuable time. See? <laughs> All right, so last time, last time. I got it. Sure. I got promise last time. All right. All right, folks, episode 65 is in the books. I'd like to give a big thanks to all the listeners and supporters. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoy sitting here discussing the hobby, and we want to thank you for making us a part of your valuable bench time. Join us for our next podcast, but for now, be excellent to each other, keep your screws empty, get out there and build something. Out from the geeks. See ya. All right. Good night, everybody. Recovery complete.